with me. You belong with me. This program deals with devil worship and satanic beliefs. It contains explicit scenes and descriptions of violent crimes and rituals. Americans are asking who attacked our country. The plan is not living all jihad against the United States. Can you tell us why? Everything pertaining to what's happening has never come to the surface. The world will never know the true facts of what occurred, my motives. And night fell on a different world. And Iblis is thinking, you know, I should be getting this position, not Adam, and this guy is created from dirt. And how does the army feel about you being head of the Temple of Set? And the conspiracy theorists can say what they will. But... I want you to give me power over Adam. And I want you to give me soldiers and minions and all of these things. But he have so much to gain and have such a material motive. And I want you to be able to give me the ability to whisper into the hearts of mankind. And uh, who was the grotto leader? Don't remember his name. You don't remember the name of a person who involved you in murder? Subliminal Jihad, episode 155. I am your co-host, Dimitri. I'm Khaled. And today, I think it's safe to say we have a very special episode. Yeah. For everybody. This is is one that you actually were the one who kind of like urged this into being. Like, I've been resistant about doing this topic. Like, this topic is, but I feel like maybe my own resistance about doing this topic was like, the sort of, as part of, like, the biases and, like, the bullshit hang-ups that people have around this figure. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I feel like maybe, like, I was falling victim to that same kind of nonsense that has so often been criticized. I think that's possible. But uh, today, you know, we're back for another music episode. It's been a little bit. I think, am I right? that Our last one was Credence in Contra 7, right? Yeah. Last yes. fall. Mm-hmm. And so today we are covering another towering figure of American songwriting and performance. Very much the heir, the spiritual successor, I think, to the Eagles in many respects. In to the Eagles, of, yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. To the in Eagles. Terms of popularity, who, but also the dismissiveness uh, mm-hmm. with which they're treated, sort of treated as something that's frivolous or, or light or substantial, you know, not. Hated on by theory. music hipsters. Hated on, yes. Mm hmm. But yeah, today we are getting into the the vast and complex world of esotericism. That's <laughs> what I've decided to call it. Of Taylor Swift. And we are not alone today. We we had to come with every, you know, tool in our toolkit. Yes. So we have with us public Taylor Swift intellectual, Christina. Christina, are you there? Hi. Thank so you for nice joining to- us. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm already fucked up. Yeah, no problem. I'm really happy to be here. Um, <laughs> I cut you off. Uh, something that um, happened a lot on this podcast. Yeah, uh, you. We apologize for interrupting. Zone. You are you're our third female guest, so we're gonna try to you know observe. We're gonna hold space for you because you know obviously uh, this is a topic that is adjacent to how you know women haven't had space held for them like the most persecuted person in history, Taylor. Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> 
So today we're going to get into, we're going to do, I guess, launch into like a wide ranging sort of exploration of everything uh, Taylor related. And I mean, we really could have released this episode at any time because she is often in the headlines being talked about. That's part of the whole Taylor experience, really, like outside of just her music. But we're also recording this in 2023 when I feel like particularly this year, Taylor has just been like rampaging across the world, across the headlines, across social media gossip blogs, Well, yeah, we're amidst the summer of the Eras Tour, which, mm-hmm. Christina, you are, did you go yet? Or you, you do have tickets, right, to go to Eras? I did try yeah. to get them, I admit, yeah. I have tickets to um, L- the last night in L.A. because, like, a friend... I never got, like, the code, but, like, my friend's cousin's girlfriend got tickets. And so I'm really happy to go. I did go when she was in Chicago, which is where I live. I went to, like, the lot to check out what the vibe was <laughs> um, outside the stadium. And yeah. so that, I feel like, was... I feel like I'm glad I went because like I feel like now I understand a part of the whole Eras tour experience that I think once I'm in the stadium, I don't know. It's it was it was crazy out there, but we can uh, go into it. later. Yeah, well, I mean, elaborate like uh, did you. Uh, well, first of all, you have full memory of everything that happened, right? Uh, you know, no you amnesia. haven't forgotten anything. I didn't. <laughs> No, I didn't experience the amnesia. I think that only happens in the vortex. Right. Yeah. That's right. That's, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Right. When you see, yeah. you have to see, make, you have to like, you know, make visual contact with her in order to right. like have the moment of, yeah, like dissociation. Yes. Uh, yes. Yeah. yeah. For those who maybe don't know what we're talking about, there's been like these news reports over the last month or so during the era's tour where Taylor Swift fans who have attended claim to basically have a form of amnesia afterwards and like not like it was such a transcendent overwhelming experience that they sort of dissociated and can't actually remember clearly like most right. of the concert right yeah they can't like remember what song she played they're like oh did she play this but then on like i mean people have been like what's going on like is this like mk like i think in a way like taylor certainly is mk like as she admits like she's a mastermind and she like relishes manipulating people to an extent yeah you know and she tries to cultivate like that emotional intensity but i don't think it's a matter of like amnesia gas being like pumped into the stadium or like like uh, the experimental sound system like yeah low frequency waves it's purely like a a social thing where like the relationship that like she's cultivated with like her fans like you know outside of that context when it comes to that it's just like so intense and also like it's yeah. like a three-hour concert, which is, like, insane. I've heard like, four hours, four. up to and four. Half, and yeah. Yeah. When I, I, that one in the, the one when she did in Foxborough in Massachusetts in the pouring rain for, like, three and a half hours, that's crazy. I'm still not over for that. Yeah. 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 She, like, when I see, is, like, just her doing this, like, this is an insane show. Like, she's on stage the entire time. She doesn't, like, get off. Like, she does all these costume changes. Like, yeah, she performs, like, in the pouring rain. It's, like crazy like you'd something that yeah to do like that show like on tour like i mean it again it speaks to the kind of like phenomenon that i feel like taylor is like culturally which is like kind of i feel like sustains my like interest in her which definitely goes 
up and down. Like part of it, you know, I've had moments where I'm like, including the recent uh, dating of the, the Harvey, uh, Maddie Healy, uh, the teal agent and uh, Islamophobe. <laughs> Oh Maddie, yeah, we'll get into uh, that. You know, I was I was mm-hmm. very I was very upset with her. You know, so it's uh, but I feel like that is also like part of it. You know, that is how like Taylor gets you. But I mean, the comparison that I would make almost is like it makes me like the way that people like have amnesia it makes me think of like you know again I've made this comparison before, but like saints or like uh, Sufi like religious figures. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know? oh. Yeah. Or maybe back in the day, like seeing the Pope like in person. You know, yeah. somebody would like faint because you know yeah. something like that. Oh. It's like his, I think it's like hysteria too. When you're like in a state of like, I don't know, shock, like you're not going to remember anything. Yeah. And like, she does something like amazing, you know, like it's a typical, like sort of trope, like story, you know, like in hagiographies, things like that, where like the saint says like some epic thing or they like, just like read your mind, you know, like the secret song that like you've always wanted, like Taylor starts playing it. Yeah. And then you just yeah. like lose consciousness, you know, <laughs> like, how did she know that I wanted to hear? Like, I almost do, you know? And like, how did she know that's my favorite song? Like she can read my mind, like, oh my God. And then you're like on a higher plane of like consciousness. And then you're like, wow. wait, Yeah. Right. It's interesting, especially for the concert musical experience, because I feel like Taylor Swift stands a little bit apart from other people you might compare her to, at least in this era, as like, like, I can't imagine. I'm sure some of the Taylor fans that are like of age there are maybe like drinking or something, but it's not like other big touring groups that we might talk about later, uh, where a lot of people are like are on mind altering drugs while they're there and that's part of the transcendent aspect of the experience like there are people stone cold sober that are like having dissociative like going into basically a k-hole because of like what taylor is doing on stage yeah and so that's a it's a little bit uh different than a lot of other styles of music that are like dominant today in america where like being kind of inebriated is like part of it but you know because taylor has a younger uh and in some cases a more normier kind of fan base uh they're not not completely but you know what i mean like it, it's interesting that she's or it's remarkable she's able to achieve that effect with an audience and also not just like a teen audience because it's one thing like even going back to who i mean who pioneered that dissociative shit the beatles but that was like teenage girls only right it i mean i i do strongly think and i'm like working writing Substack about my visit to the parking lot. But I do think that like the reason why she has been so big for so long is I think like the teenage girl foundation of her fans where mm-hmm. like they just keep coming and growing up and becoming fans and staying fans. Mm-hmm. But like, no, you're right. It is different than like Beatlemania. Or- like, and I assume because I will get into this later, but somebody else she's now being compared to, which is is too juicy to not bring up here, is uh, the Grateful Dead, because they were like the original kind of cult band following around the country that people built this all this lore and culture around. But I assume you didn't see any like nitrous tanks in the parking lot, right? <laughs> and, um, no, I, I saw no nitrous tanks. It was like the most wholesome group experience I had been a part of in a long time it was like really sweet there were teen girls there like eating snacks there were like couples in their 20s there were moms and their kids there were like a lot of teen girls and like everyone was it just felt like I was at a campfire like everyone was just (laughs) they would sing really loud in the bridges 
um, which I feel like is an ode to Taylor because we all know that she yeah, loves she's... the most. Um, right. Very interesting, actually. The liminal space of the bridge is Taylor's, yes, you know, so uh, her, like her strongest <laughs> space. Yeah. So true. Um, but yeah, it was, it was wild. I was like, this is a and I'm not even in the stadium yet. Like <laughs> That's just outside. Yeah. Yeah. That's um, powerful. Very few people can achieve that. Now, yes. I maybe I think um since both of you are Swifties, maybe it would be nice to talk about like how how did both of you become Swifties and like what was your entree into Taylor Swift's music cuz like for me, I don't think I even really seriously tried to listen to her music until like much later when she was bigger. And then even then I was kind of resistant to it. But you guys are you guys are sold on the Swifty experience. And like yes. how did that happen and what did it for you that made you think this girl is something special? I mean, I for me, I like I feel like, you know, this is something that people have been like uh, or I think people have a conscience of this. Like, I mean, as Christina was just saying, like her core fan base remains like teen girls, which is interesting because I feel like or like millennial women, I feel like are also a big constituency. But like teen girls still get into Taylor, I think maybe partially because of like the reverence that like newer celebs in that sort of teen girl like pop domain like have for yeah. her as like a you know foundational figure and the prominence she still has there but yeah so contrary to you know some rumors i'm neither uh homosexual or transgender um you know i <laughs> so that's like uh so it's a bit odd i feel like or well i don't know if it actually is strange i do know there are other straight men but i think it does have an like an element of embarrassment that goes beyond like the embarrassment of like being a fan of the eagles or uh, Creedence Clearwater Revival. Oh, um, for sure. Yeah, yeah. But I will say that it was like how I got into Taylor. I kind of started off as being sort of an anti fan, but it was really actually because of my old roommate who was gay. And, but his take on it was that, so I feel like he didn't have like kind of the block that like I feel like some, you know, men have about listening to Taylor. Because, yeah, yeah. yeah but what the fuck is, this? especially yeah, back when was this, like 2009, 2010, I'm assuming? Yeah, I think that they do, but if they acknowledge it, it's like a winking thing, you know? But I feel like there's many ways to like to appreciate Taylor and like her craft. And like, I feel like, you know, there's like a saying like the the religion of old women, you know, is lots of like, you know, earlier Muslim scholars, or even later on, this became like a tropic phrase where they would say like, you know, the best or the ideal of religions that had the religion of old woman, which which is deintellectualized, you know, and, uh, you know, doesn't have all these sort of like ideological hang ups or like intellectualizations. And it's just like sort of simple and like un, vibes uh, based. Yes, vibes based. Uh, and I feel like this. Uh, Taylor gives like a sort of a, a glimpse into the religion of I think to an extent like you know there are there are certain like Taylor like Swifty boomers too but I think of of young women too which is a very important and interesting like she activated like a whole demographic like on our society in like an interesting way you know like people mm -hmm. always say like they would solve like you know who the Zodiac killer is if like Taylor like put them onto it like incredible yeah. like loyalty <laughs> but. Yeah. So, but my roommate's whole thing was that like he hated, he actually like had a grievance with Taylor. He felt like, and I feel it's interesting in retrospect because this is kind of like, he sort of had like a take on her that was like, oh, you know, she's like anti-feminist, you know, because all her songs are about like fairy tales and like finding a Prince Charming, you know, and she's not like a girl boss, you know, and it's like, mm. in retrospect, I'm kind of like, wow, you know, it's kind of fucked up for you to like try to cancel like her creativity, like by saying like, you know, oh, she's not 
doing this like sufficiently like I a man like know what like women should be singing about to like empower themselves or whatever <laughs> but yeah no I remember him like you know, and I remember him like th- making fun of like lines, which I still think like I uh, are like ludicrous. Like you were Romeo and I was a Scarlet Letter, like a horrible mixed metaphor. Um, you know, I think she's definitely gotten uh, better uh, in terms of avoiding those things. But uh, yeah, you know, and that was like really like fearless era. That was around the time like, you know, when I first like had started to get into like, you know, he would be playing Taylor and like I would be kind of like hearing it and like we would be commenting on it like together because, you know, he had like he was like engaging with it, like in terms of like cultural commentary, you know, Mm -hmm. but I was still kind of like an ironic remove. And I feel like what it really was that like made me into like a more sincere Swifty was years later when like I had like a really bad breakup. And uh, once again, like, you know, have been most of my whole life, had girlfriends, uh, you know, (laughs) but anyway, so I had like a really bad breakup and I like looked up something like like saddest songs or something like that. So like, you know, and like one of them was like all too well by Ooh, Taylor. Yeah. And Ooh, still like a, the a, yeah. A fucking banger. I'm just gonna say it. A fucking yeah. anybody that says it's not a fucking banger, get the fuck out of here. Yeah. <laughs> and the I 10 mean, minute version is the epic. 10 minute yeah. version, really. Yeah. That's Absolutely. what did it for me. I never have been impressed with anybody performing live on SNL over the years. I always thought they have horrible acoustics and just whatever but like she performed that 10 10 minute version and then I think I went and listened to it and was just like oof you know and it's like sorry I'm not going to go off on a whole thing but it encompasses so much about Taylor it's got the lore of like is it about Jake Gyllenhaal and stuff like that going on but it's really just such a good fucking song that that's song power as Glenn Fry would say undeniably anyways go on yeah i don't know i mean like obviously yeah all well's epic you know yeah it's a tour de force and i think you know every like it doesn't encapsulate taylor in a big way like everyone has had a relationship like that everyone like can relate to all too well i think you know there's definitely certain elements of it that are a particular experience but i still think that like any like it is it's like so evocative like a very particular type of thing i don't know but i want to hear from you Steve, about you know this topic yeah I mean I remember the first time I ever like heard her or at least the first time that I heard her and it like affected me which I think is kind of crazy and like how I don't know but I don't think this is normal but I remember I was like having a bad day in college and I went into a coffee shop and I was like there was some tv playing some music and I can't remember I still to this day I'm like was it teardrops on my guitar was it Tim McGraw it was one of those two and it was like something about her voice. It was like the tone of her voice and like some lyrics she were she was saying, like just this like longingness that I just like, I swear it like my spine like tingled or something. And I looked and I was like, who is this? Like, this is making me feel so good. And I looked up at the TV and I was like, oh my God, it's that girl who I keep seeing around. Like back then, I think that was like, I guess that must have been before Fearless came out. So it was like self-titled. And I feel like I had seen photos of her like on the internet and stuff. And she back then she was wearing like so much makeup. They had her wearing like yeah. her hair was all like done up. Like she so like, airbrushed, like a like yeah. a beauty pat, yeah. like John Benet Ramsey practically. Totally, yes. Major John Benet Ramsey. <laughs> and I was like, I felt like dumb. I was like, oh my God, like that's, that's <laughs> who I'm like, that's who I just like gravitated towards. That's who like made me feel like everything was going to be okay. And then <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that's fucked up. 
So then like, I don't know, I guess I then Fearless came out and I was like really into Fearless. And this was must have been like junior year of college or something. And I remember like I was also like an anti fan, I think, because I think I was just like embarrassed to love this music so much because. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And like and also like no one. None of my friends listened to her. They only knew like Love Story and You Belong With. It's corny as hell. Yeah, I'm not big on Love Story. Uh, I think Fearless is amazing. Yeah. I was just listening to Fearless, Fearless Taylor Fearless. yesterday and like it really holds up. Um, so good. And yeah. Yeah. And the Taylor's version version. We can talk about her re-recordings later. <laughs> it's a whole other thing. But yeah, no. Oh, and sorry. Then I- sorry, guys. Uh, th- my uh, I think my Internet just glitched for a second. So yeah, I didn't hear the last like 15 seconds of what you said. I don't know. Oh, if we were just saying that but... Fearless was amazing. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. That was yeah, we'll 2008, talk about the right? Version later. Uh, uh-huh. Yeah, it was 2008, I think. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah, 2006 so was when the self-titled came out with Tim McGraw on it. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I think maybe I must have heard her in 2008 and then Fearless came out like pretty soon after that. And I was like into it. But like, yeah. And I think like everyone I knew thought it was corny. And like, I felt like this was like my best kept, this is like a secret I had. And like, I was like, I was like, that's what you are. I don't know how good Taylor's. He said the way my blue eyes shine, but those Georgia stars to shame that night. I said that's a lie. Just a boy in a Chevy truck that had a tendency of getting stuck on back roads at night. And I was right there beside him all summer long. And then the time we woke up to find that summer gone. But when you think him go, I hope you think my favorite song. i 
is when you think Tim McGraw. I hope you think my favorite song. Someday you'll turn your radio on. I hope it takes you back to that place when you think happiness. I hope you think that little black dress. Think of my head on your chest and my old faded blue jeans. When you think Tim McGraw. Like, I remember, like, listening to All Too Well in the Shower when I was, like, 22, sobbing. Yeah. <laughs> like, being moved to, like, it was just so cathartic to listen to that song and to listen to that album, which is, like, such a good breakup album. And, like, I always say, I mean, I don't know how you guys feel about Bob Dylan, but <laughs> Blood on the Tracks and Red are, like, kindred albums to me. Well, yeah, yeah I, mean, I mean, I was Blood thinking, on the like, Tracks, yeah. I was thinking, you know, yeah. we like I was yeah, saying before we really. before we started recording, you're our first guest at uh, like at either of us actually known IRL. And I remember like, you know, we went to college together and I remember we had like, you know, we went to this like lecture by this woman who was like, who is, you know, who do you guys think is the Bob Dylan of today? And at that time, people were like, oh, I think it's I think it's going to be Connor Oberst. And like, <laughs> I really think it's so funny because like, I really think it actually is Taylor. Um, it is Taylor. Like, it is yeah. Taylor. Um, yeah. I, I mean, yeah, that that's it's interesting you bring that up because I was just thinking like, Christina, when you said that everyone thought it was corny in like 2006, 2007, like I remember that era too. And that was kind of peak indie rock. And like, and it's, and it's weird because like when you actually look at like the core of Taylor's music, it is very like bright eyes, like in a lot of ways. It's just that she has like a slightly different kind of, you know, her vocal performance and things like that is, is slightly different and it's more pop friendly, but it's really like not that different. But like the narcissism of small differences back then, like that was the peak of like indie hipster like yeah. pretension. And there was such a like an ambient pressure that you had to like something that was a certain kind of cool and like Taylor wasn't it in the first few years of her career. Yes. I mean, she was a, and I think a lot of it was because she was country, right? I mean, she came out of that. Yeah, that little, well, I think also part of it was like, that really was like, even though like everyone was voting for Obama or everything, it was before like a lot of things. I think that for one, like Dear John, like partially started Me Too. Um, I feel like, you know, like it, yeah, good point. or was a, was a factor in that or like in the larger reckoning that like came out of that, like the way I was thinking the other day, like about how in that song, it's like phrases the question, like, don't you think 19 is too young to be messed with? You know, it's not like saying yeah. it, it's like proposing it to people. And I think that yeah. at that time, mm. like people were like, huh, maybe it is fucked up for John Mayer to be like fucking around with this 19 year old girl, like at this point, like. Uh, you know, but I think at that time it wasn't it wasn't unambiguous in the way that it like today, like, you know, if you can compare it to Maddie Healy, like Maddie Healy, like dating Maddie Healy, even though they're both the same age and everything, like he's just too much of a piece of shit. Whereas like today, I feel like if you had a relationship like that, like if Olivia Rodrigo went out with, I don't know, like with Maddie Healy, people yeah. would be like, what the fuck? I, like Maddie, like yeah, they would be you'd be arrested no, like um, <laughs> but, or, or assassinated. But yeah, the, um, the, so yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, Taylor did assassinate John Mayer, but um, <laughs> like, He's yeah, she, she got um, Well, I mean, where is John Mayer these days? Right. Interesting. Montana. He, he was, lives. She well, do what I mean? Like, who's he playing with? Or, 
until oh, this year. <laughs> I saw him actually in Montana, like last summer. He played this like really small acoustic show um, oh, okay. for some like Yellowstone flooding that happened. Um, well, he's but like uh, she effectively pushed him out of like I mean it was that in the Jessica Simpson yeah and saying his like, penis yeah. was racist and things like that but yeah, yeah. Taylor was definitely the largest of those factors like oh, she yeah, was like totally. again it was like dear John even though it was very it was kind of a question like take a closer mm-hmm. look at John Mayer and then everyone's like oh this guy's saying his penis is racist uh you know interesting when, then he had to like run into like the the protective arms of like the deadheads after that yeah that was that was all he could do that's all he could do i mean there there is a theme i think of uh some of her uh, musical you know romantic partners like i don't know like trying to be her or like be on her level but like they're just not in my opinion. I mean, well, I think that is a definitely a theme, like, you know, and I think that that I think partially was a factor. I think that's yeah, a factor in a lot of her relationships, you know, is like there's no one who's as famous as Taylor and like so or is on her level. But and, um, and just musically, like they're going for a kind of like they want to have like that level of connection and like power that Taylor has, like her music and her audience. But like. I don't know. When I was listening to the earlier versions of Taylor's albums from like 2012, it was like the music in this sounds like the 1975, except like with a way more charismatic singer songwriter uh, kind of singing on top of it. But but I mean, but then Taylor's stuff today, the Taylor's versions that she's released in the last couple of years, like I I would not scoff at her production these days at all. I could see why people in the late 2000s maybe felt that it was a little corny. Like, it's kind of like the intro out music on, like, Fox News segments, <laughs> you know? Like, it's, like, this bright mm-hmm. kind of, like, patriotic, like, cheery yeah. kind of, like, very highly produced kind of sound. But, like, no, Taylor, I think, has a good ear. I think that's the current she was kind of swimming in, you know, when she was getting established. Yeah. And it was, she did come out of that pop country thing, which, like, I feel like in the late 2000s, like, alt country was kind of popular. Obviously, Connor Oberst and Bright Eyes were, like, trafficking and a lot of that all that saddle creek stuff but like there was a lot there's a big bright hipster line that like you were not supposed to cross in terms of becoming like two country and i feel like taylor started on the other side of that that red line and like then worked her way back into like these other more uh acceptable genres like over time but that caused a lot of people i think just and yeah the butterfly like glitter john benet like aesthetic of uh big machine records like when they were first putting her out like definitely made it seem like you know like if she had some arty bright eyes album cover but like the exact same songs maybe a lot of millennials would have gotten into her earlier if she was marketed differently honestly i say this often i think fearless is like a emo record <laughs> yeah it is that that's it how is. i hear it when i went i went back and listened to those original record those first like three like all the way through and just like with the hindsight of history you know of, of history and like over a decade it feels more in line with like uh yeah like a bright eyes record it is um, yeah and bright eyes people would say bright eyes like by a strict definition of emo where it's like only road to spring and mineral or emo you know like <laughs> bright eyes is an emo Everyone considered Bright Eyes emo at the time. And if Bright Eyes is emo, yeah. then so is Fearless. <laughs> Definitely. Um, Absolutely. And you know what? I was 
speak now, which she's re-releasing soon, which I'm like so excited about. I know. I'm so I, glad that she broke up with Maddie before it came out. So I don't have to think I about know. Maddie when I listen to it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, she was, I think she has like Haley Williams on that now, like in the, the vault tracks and I think fallout boy. And I'm like that. And I was listening to haunted the other day, Kali, because you mentioned it and you were, I guess it was a secret song in where? In uh, I don't know where it was, but I, I I sent you a TikTok where like she starts yeah. playing Haunted and like a girl screams Haunted in a voice that like is not human. She's like, Haunted! <laughs> like it's like sounds like it sounds like what yeah. a ghost would say if you walked into a house that was haunted, like um, <laughs> to warn you. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I was now is kind of like Haunted. It's a it's like that. Yeah, that's a that's a Fallout Boy album. Or like I love Haunted. Disco. It's one of the best songs about being haunted. It's definitely better than it's Haunted so by Poe. Haunted by Beyonce, who a lot of people <laughs> yeah. are comparing Taylor to now just because they have two tours out. And I, it makes me very uncomfortable because I don't get Well, I feel like Beyonce is well, the only person well, well, who's like as popular as Taylor. Hmm. You know? uh, no, right. to speak more on that. What, what, what makes you uncomfortable about the comparisons to Beyonce? I just feel like they are so different. And like, I love them both. I was like a huge Beyonce fan. I've seen her a bunch of times. Like... Beyonce is an incredible performer, like from a dancing and singing perspective, like a stage presence perspective. Maybe now Taylor has like a better stage presence, but I feel like Beyonce is the better performer. If we're talking about like Michael, if Michael Jackson is like whatever, the peak, like Tina Turner, like she has that stage presence. Taylor didn't have it for a long time. I think she finally has it. But it's like, yeah, I, I see a lot of people. I think it's a lot of people in the in the beehive. They'll post like a video of Beyonce just like dancing impeccably and like singing. And then it's like Taylor during Willow where she's doing like that weird witch dance. <laughs> God. Yeah, I'm like, these are two completely different performers. And also like they're just different. And I I think, yeah, I don't I think there's this like competition because the Ayers tour is like selling better or is like more of a thing than the Renaissance tour, but I'm like they're two different artists and like two completely different stages of their and careers. So yeah, I feel like it's partially a fallacy as well because I feel like like there is more of a continuity between like being an anti fan and being a fan of Taylor than like it's not like a line where you go from being an anti fan like you know even when Midnight's came out uh, or as you have coined it uh, uh, Midnight's um, <laughs> <laughs> like uh, we Ooh. were well, you know we were both talking about how like. You know, it was really like a serendipitous moment. Like I might have never acknowledged on this podcast that I listened to Taylor Swift if it hadn't been like in that golden period where like someone asked us a question on a Q&A that was like, what music do you guys listen to? And it was right like in that like, you know, the high point of Swifty history, like right after Folklore came out. When, oh, yeah. like, finally yeah. it felt like, you know, these things will change. Like, you know, we finally won. Finally, it's no longer embarrassing to be a Swifty. We can hold our heads high. If it had been after Midnight's, then I might have been, like, more embarrassed. But, I mean, I don't think that Midnight's is really, like, you know, is that, like, awful. It's just, like, a step down, I think, from Folklore and Evermore. But there's some standout yeah. parts. I mean, would have, could have, should have, you know, et cetera. But, you know, like, you definitely go up and down. I mean, the like, associating herself with a certain Manchester boy is a huge disappointment you know it's just part of like it's part of the experience like the cringe al elements and like the cringe lyrics you know every yeah. once in a while she's throwing a line it's just like oh my god are you fucking kidding me like it's so lame you know so it's like 
Um, no, it's true. That it, it's interesting. I mean, she or she songs does... like "No Body, No Crime" or "Vigilante Shit." Oh, which God, is like, yeah. are you kidding me? Like, yeah, no yeah, body, yeah. No crime it's... is a crime in ever like in the middle well, of Evermore, <laughs> like that. Especially, and, yeah, yeah, especially in the, in like that po- when she got into that pop era with like uh, like reputation and lovers and stuff. It's like that. But I mean, I went back and listened to those two, and I have to say, like in the context of like her sort of like electro pop records. I feel like Midnight is like the most accomplished and it has the least like whiffs on it than those other two albums did. And Uh, maybe it's like splitting the difference between like the more just like strong, like songwriting of uh, folklore. And yeah, well, I think it was like, I think she didn't plan. I think she had planned Midnight's and I think that's, I don't know. I've been interested to hear Christina, like how you've reappraised Midnight's like since we've last talked about if you have, but like, I feel like folklore and evermore like weren't planned. Like it was supposed to be like lover, and then like she was thinking about doing midnights, and that's why midnights is half of like I love Joe part two, and half right. like fuck Joe. Um, you know, like yeah, I and, think so. Yeah, yeah. There was like day, that song daylights on lover, mm-hmm. and it just yeah. I, I there so. were theories going around that she was going to drop something called midnights, and it does. Yeah, it totally feels like that pandemic happened and she was like folklore and evermore. Yeah. Which were partially, <laughs> allegedly partially written by Joe Alwyn, although it's quite like, you know, like to what William extent did we were yeah. looking into this. He this is, is pre- an interesting thing. So this is like her boyfriend of what, like six, six years, years, Joe Alwyn. She, yeah. Broke up with, uh, and then immediately started, um, what Joe's representative called a tacky romance with, uh, the four <laughs> mentioned teal agent. Um, who was strategically um, placed to destroy her. Um, yes, Maddie Healy of the her, 1975. Or corrupt her at the height of her powers, yeah. Um, um, and, I mean, do we even know if they were really... This, see, this gets into, like, the complex, like, uh, almost, you know, like, the lore of Taylor's. Like, was she even really dating him, or was this a stunt? Was this uh, a piece of performance art? Because you could look at a lot of Taylor's entire career even beyond the music, like the way she uses her celebrity as this like vast, all-encompassing like piece of performance art that like she's turned her entire life and her identity into this. And I mean, I, I'm i curious what you guys think about this because, you know, there's a lot of gossip blogs that will speculate that, oh, when she's seen hanging out with this person or that person, that this is all calculated. Like as that TikTok that you found called said, she sees everything. I think I'd just like to remind all the Swifties, Gaylers, non-Gaylers, mainstream, non-mainstream, media, Reddit, Twitter, TikTok. She sees everything. Are the words you're using really the words you want her reading? None of it is accidental. Some of y'all hasn't really strong opinions just mother is mother and you're really setting her up quite nicely for that there great time watching tour tonight yeah she's the mastermind yeah Yeah. she's the mastermind Um, nothing is left to chance and if like she was making you think that she was dating dirtbag maddie healy for like two months you know, it, it's uh, she was hanging out with him. But like, do we even know? I guess we'll have to wait for the next record, right? I don't know. What do you guys think about that? 
It like, feels placed now. Like it feels, but also I think she was maybe just hooking up with him and decided to kind of use it as PR. Yeah, she did use the breakup strategically. Like she was mm-hmm. like, I'm breaking up with Maddie. By the way, like Speak Now is coming out like on this date and like here are the vault tracks and like, you know, so she did use it and the Ice Spice thing you know, the ice spice thing. Was yeah, so that was nose. not a coincidence. Not a coincidence at all. No. Like, and I um, would put like, that in the category of midnight. Uh, no knock on ice spice. I think she's very talented, but that just song. That song just like didn't work for like. I can't. Ice I can't spices. abide karma, Christine. I know you like karma, but I can't abide it because of the shirk element of it. I like Taylor's more <laughs> uh, theologically monotheistic tracks, like "Would Have, Could Have, Should Have" on Midnight's. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. I mean. Yeah, it, it's hard. She also like rarely collaborates with a, another like female like, singer. I think Phoebe True. Bridgers was like first before her. Oh no, Colby Colby Calais on yeah. Breathe on Fearless, but you can barely hear Colby Calais. And if is that wow. her name? Um, I think so. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Lana, I mean, I, I guess, her. but she wasn't on it enough, and she had to like release a second version with more Lana. Um, oh yeah, Lana. Yeah, yeah Lana right. was on it. Right. Yeah, I mean, yeah, she's always listening. She, I mean, like, <laughs> when she's a mastermind. But what I, when we were talking about her, like, at the beginning of her career and how she started country, like, she didn't really start as a country music singer. I think what happened was she, her dad was a stockbroker. She lived in Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. and they moved down to Nashville because I think strategically it made sense for her if she was a singer songwriter to start there mm-hmm. and to record country songs. And like her dad, didn't her dad buy like, like so much stock and like he like founded, helped found Big Machine Records. He, I, I believe it said that at a certain point or, or at least around the early 2010s, like he owned 3% of it, but he sort of helped co-organize it with, I was looking into this last night. I guess he sort of formed it with this guy who had worked for MCA Nashville, like their country section, uh, Scott Borchetta was oh, yeah, like Scott. a guy oh. who's kind of yeah. like an industry scout. We hate him. Yeah. He, yeah, he's the douchebag who now like is the CEO of Big Machine and like uh basically was like complicit with uh Scooter Braun. That that's a whole yeah. interesting and the little rabbit group hole. And the Soros family the and fucking Carlisle group and Soros. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one of the few artists um, to uh stand up uh yeah, to she's, uh Soros. Yes. I forgot where I was going. Oh basically I was just talking about her her origin story because I think like everything she's ever done is like a chess move. That that yeah, okay, yeah. Definitely. Like maybe I was can, listening, can we talk like said, for a second about her oh, can we talk about early life for a second? Because yeah. I think it is relevant to this that like Oh absolutely. I mean, yeah. I think that is important. Like yeah, I was gonna say I was listening to Fearless yesterday and like there's that song on there like or maybe it's on red. Like the one that's like I bet you think I think it is on Red Taylor's version. It's like from it's from the vault. In fact, this is another thing oh, that I, I feel like Yeah. Then she says like I grew up on a farm and it's like, all right. But that is tr- <laughs> technically true that she grew up on like a Christmas tree farm in Pennsylvania. Yeah, right. yeah that like her fa- her dad bought while working at like he founded like a Merrill subsidiary Lynch. of Merrill Lynch called like the mm-hmm. Swift Group. Yeah, I was looking up their website and like I felt like it actually was pretty impressive restraint that they don't say like we will help you shake off like your bad investments. <laughs> or, like you know they're just like pretty straightforward. Uh, well, yeah, both her know. parents had worked in finance basically, so she grew up like pretty well off in West Reading, Pennsylvania, where um, 
where actually uh, Senator John Fetterman also grew up. And I think he was also like the son of a wealthy insurance executive. So, uh, yeah, I thought that was like maybe like a mainline suburb of Philly, but I think it's a little further out. So a little more rural. So I guess it was kind of a small town thing, but not exactly Southern. But you're right. Like her family moved her down to Nashville and like uh, her dad moved his like finance job down there just so they could have, they decided this is the place where they're going to like incubate young Taylor, who I think what it was like maybe uh, 11 or 12 at this point. Yeah. She was born in West Reading, but she grew up in in Wyomissing. I was like, where did you get West Reading from? Yeah. I always thought that was, that was another thing. It's like, it sounds like it's like, you know, someplace in the Midwest or in the South, but it's in Pennsylvania. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. I think also like when you think about who she was as a kid, it's like, I feel like her entire, like all her songs kind of harken back to like who she felt like she was when she was a child. And like, I always think about this story. I know a girl I went to college with who did community theater with Taylor when they were like kids. And Taylor was like the messenger who would like bring the notes between this girl and her crush. And Taylor was kind of like the middle person. And I just think like she is still the middle person she's still like writing songs about like her friends love affairs and like she's the middle person like she's keeping like the entire country together by a friend. <laughs> she's everything. The, she sees everything. The, the liminality of Taylor, yes. And she's still very, I feel like she's very epistolatory. As we know, you know, when she explained her different genres of songwriting, which don't really make too much sense, which is based on like, know what she meant by that. it's based on different pens. For Well, something that you and I have often said about Taylor is that she desperately needs to like go to college or at least read a book. But Again, this is another thing where it's like maybe the sacrality of Taylor comes from her naivety, like, you know, the same way that like the Emperor Akbar was like, you know, uh, he had an aura about him because of his illiteracy or even the problem of having, <laughs> not to compare it to us like Virla, but like, you know, that was why Akbar, uh, you know, had that aura because of the prophetic precedent. But uh, so there is this sort of, even though she is now a doctor from NYU of fine arts, but yeah, like uh, she said like that her, she, when she writes, she thinks of it in terms of like quill pens glitter pens or fountain pens and fountain pens are like huh. diaristic and like conventional uh, glitter pens or maybe i'm getting confused glitter pens are like sort of fun and like teen flavored and quill pens is like emily dickinson even though i don't think mm-hmm. any of her songs actually like sound victorian yeah yeah no Interesting. Um, I, I, I why did she say that i feel like it, <laughs> you know what i mean it doesn't it didn't doesn't it was just such a weird thing to say and i feel like it has something to do with something she has planned. I don't know. Hopefully not her film. <laughs> this is, yeah, well, that's like the, well, yeah, she is writing a film too. And that's, that's, that's right. interesting. Yeah. One of the best things we were laughing about this like months ago, like one of the best recent Taylor things was that like, you know, she's trying to position herself as like a film person now having done like a short film based on sure. all too well, which is like, you know, the idea that this is a film, like short film was like destroyed because like Taylor, like by Taylor appearing at the end as like adult Sadie Sink. It's like a long music video, but she's like really deliberately visioned it like this is my short film, you know, and to the point that like she actually was like involved in this like directors interview directors thing with like Martin McDonough, like right after Banshees of Inisherin came out. And it was like what? Taylor Swift interviewing Martin McDonough. And there's this amazing part where Taylor is like talking about how in the antihero video, like when she pukes up glitter, 
that represents how like she's not normal and she does like or so you know what it represents and then she's like so in spoiler for the pages of Inishirin, you know if you haven't seen it spoiler spoiler so she's like so when the cutting off of the fingers you know she was like i was asking my friends like what do you think this means like uh and my friends the psychologist said like if i had a dream that someone was cutting off their fingers i would think that it represented this and mar mcdonough's just like oh i just thought that it would be like a you know a good thing for the sort of a cool thing to do i just thought it was interesting and she <laughs> and she's so shocked like that there's not like all these like layers of meaning like she, you know there's no deep meaning to this she's like what really you just thought it was cool like she literally like her facade like i'm breaks. kind of it I don't know. Like, I'm kind of excited for like her Hodorowski, like, you know, surreal symbolism movies. We're that's, very how, that's how she approaches it. I we're am very curious. Yeah, we're but very also, curious. Yeah. But I, I will. I, I'm excited for the soundtrack. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there's probably a good original song. But yeah, we've, we're wondering, like, what is what is it going to be? Like, is it going to be like All Too Well, the movie? Like, is it going to be like 1989, the movie? But yeah, but no, I, think, I heard it's yeah. about a romantic something it's like a romance yeah i think um yeah sounds about right yeah i mean yeah. she's fundamentally like ultimately she's like a love poet i feel like is yeah you is. know yeah which is yeah also well, like I, mystical genre for sure i i'm um, very interested in this idea of her kind of being almost like almost like this like dalai lama of like american pop expression that was sort of raised from birth to be like the superstar like i got really powerful like tiger woods or like venus and serena williams kind of vibes from taylor swift's early life that like she was trained by parents who i mean i think she she was like passionate about you know performing singing etc from like childhood but her parents were like absolutely there and really like we are going to make sure that taylor is like the most optimized like we're going to give her kind of every advantage possible in like those early years in Nashville to like turn her into this kind of pop superstar. And it's interesting to me because like the pop machine does that to I think most people we would consider pop stars. Like they go through this kind of intense ringer of training, whether it's Michael Jackson or, you know, later on it's like Beyonce or the, the sort of Disney raised pop stars that are big right now. Like there, there's and honestly, like you know, I was just watching uh, the Idol on HBO, which just came yeah. out, which is an interesting sort of like companion piece to like talking about Taylor because Taylor, uh, at the end of the day, like there isn't the same darkness in Taylor that I see in so many other pop stars, probably the majority of pop stars. Like no, I think yeah. I I think I heard something that Selena Gomez like wanted to sue HBO because she felt like the idol was sort of like plagiarizing her real life. And it's like, Selena, like this is plagiarizing every pop star's life, except for maybe Taylor Swift. But like every other one, I mean, I mean, you could go down the very dark thing of like, it's a very abusive and fucked up and unaccountable thing. And then you get these child stars that are kind of pushed by their parents, like to get into it, whether it's Britney Spears or Amanda Bynes, like Ariana Grande, etc but taylor has like a slightly different thing because like it's her parents and they're not in la or new york initially like they go to nashville this other hub of like you know musical powerhouse kind of city and they take the country route but they're like tightly involved with incubating her and have they don't really pawn her off to like disney or something like that is what i'm saying like they yeah, keep I mean, it very in-house for a long time right 
Totally. And I think like, I, if I remember correctly, when they were looking for a record deal, they would only, uh, Taylor, maybe, and her parents would only accept a record deal if she could write her own songs. So I think she was like immediately offered a record deal to sing someone else's songs. Yeah. And they were like, holding out. RCA which... like offered her a deal, like, you know, and they're like, yeah, we'll take you. But like, you know, I feel like I've known people who have like, oh, you know, CCA wants to represent you. And they're like, yeah, great. And then they're like, well, all right, you go into the fucking like filing cabinet with everybody else. Like, we don't actually care about you. We just wanted no one else to have you. And like, now we own you. Yeah. Um, oh, it's totally a thing. Yeah. 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 And I think that's what Taylor, you know, I think it's interesting, actually, that you bring up Scott Swift, because I feel like like lyrically speaking, Taylor has like a friendship and like a closeness and like a bond with her mother. It, the whole thing around yeah. her parents is very interesting because like the way that it's narrativized, like you would never even know, like from a service level that Scott Swift and Andrea Swift are divorced like that. Like there's this very oh, really? like, yeah, Wait, they, they, are? Are, they are. Yeah. Um, I have no idea. Yes, there's only like glimpses of it. I mean, they when might did they be, get divorced? They might be separated. I don't even know if I don't even. I honestly, I think it's so obscure and so like covered up. You can like read about it online, but it's so. I think they are officially divorced, but I'm not sure. I mean, I don't know, Christina. Do you know more about like? I feel like it happened a while ago. Like, it did. It did. Yeah, but I think you wouldn't even like the way that like their relationship is like narrativized. Like you wouldn't even necessarily know that because of the like. And yeah, she definitely does have that like. You know, I was reading this article about her enrolling stone from back from like 2008. You know. Uh, and she has like, this goody-goody, very goody-goody image, you know, like it says Taylor Swift is uh, on good behavior as usual. In high school, she had a 4.0 average. When she was homeschooled during her junior and senior year, she finished both years of coursework in 12 months. She has never changed her hair color, won't engage in any remotely dangerous type of physical activity, and bites her nails to the quick. At 19 years old, she says she has never had a cigarette. She says she has never had a drop of alcohol. Mashallah. I have no, although even now, I feel like, you know, Taylor. Example, I don't know about um, that anymore. Yeah. yeah. I have no, definitely not true anymore i have she says i have no interest in drinking she says her blue eyes focus and uh, intent beneath coal liner again mashallah and liberally applied eyeshadow i always want to be responsible for things i say and do then she adds i would have a problem lying to my parents about that you know but it is it is interesting yeah so she has this image of being like you know very and the, the family like cohesion is part of that but as i was saying i think it's interesting how she has this like you know her mom is like a parent like a friend and like whenever she talks about her father in her songs it's always about like a an appropriation of his strength like for instance in the best day most like you know uh it's best encapsulated mm -hmm. in that which says like i have an excellent father his strength is making me stronger and even in mine where Are there... yeah oh yeah oh what you mine lead... make yeah. all of your of a careless man's careful daughter yeah yeah which, yeah again and it's like ambiguous is that autobiographical you know like obviously not kind of because it refers to people going through co going to college which she hasn't done but yeah and card yeah. Leaving like a father running yeah. like water. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Even in all too well, I feel like she, I also noticed her invoking him and maybe this is more like the early country thing, but invoking him as that like that dad who like loves his daughter and like if you mistreat her, like, you know, it's like that country song, Clean in This Gun. Where oh, it's like yeah. about a guy who's just going to be sitting on the porch. Well, she has a gun, song like, just like that, right? That's like the original version of like, what is it? Picture to burn where she threatens someone oh, with like her daddy's I, new AR or something. Yeah. Yeah. I, like her dad's going to come. I, her dad's like an enforcer. Like, he's gonna come. Yeah. My dad's got a new automatic. Yeah, exactly. Like what? And even um, the line yeah. in all too well, where she says like, you're sitting there like drinking coffee with my dad, like you're on a late night show. And like, she says it with like a particular contempt, like you're yeah. trying to manipulate my, yeah. like yeah. you're winning over my dad's confidence, but you're a fuck boy. Like, you know, you definitely, right. 
Yeah, I mean, she gives me daddy issues vibes for sure. And I think in the documentary, Miss Americana, her dad is the number one antagonist. Yes, he is. Yeah, because he's the one telling her like not again. We had to I think it's very important to clarify like how stage managed that was and that like it's, you know, it's obviously very, very calculated. Like Red Scare talked about this and they just like, you know, that was when, you know, Maddie Healy's good friends, Dasha and Anna, um, uh, called Taylor Miss Piggy and made fun of her mother uh, who's dying of cancer. Yes. Taylor, don't trust him. Uh, if this reaches you, please uh, stay away from him. <laughs> don't trust him. He's 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 trying to he's trying to do something. But so and I think they're like, oh, you know, she's like the icon of like liberalism or whatever. It's like, no, you know, she's. This is a typical, like, Taylor, like, business move where she's trying to, like, you know, portray herself as, yeah, you're right. Her dad is, like, the one who's, like, please, Taylor, for your, like, he's so protective, like, for your safety, you know, you're going to be attacked by these MAGA people, you know, and she's like, I have to do this, dad, like, I have to, you know, like, um, (laughs) yeah, I have to stand up to Trump in, like, 2019 or whatever, you know. Oh, my God, yeah. I did watch that when it came out. I remember that, like, yeah, her stand that she took. Yeah, I also, like, the, the, the access felt, like there was no access at all. I feel like the most intimate thing I saw in that whole documentary was like her and her and Abigail, her friend from childhood. Yes. They're like, and she's like, she find out she likes uh, white wine with ice. And I was like, so excited to know that. <laughs> and I'm like, she's giving me crumbs. Like. <laughs> she is giving crumbs, isn't she? It's the yeah. ARG of it all. But I think, it's interesting, you know, relative to like the, you know, the sort of narrative of her life. I think it's interesting how like Taylor is someone who and this is like how I feel like she actually sort of I wouldn't say she transcends politics. But again, another interesting comparison I feel like I could make uh, in terms of like Taylor's political positionality and like also her like cultural positionality is to another, you know, great Islamic spiritual figure. More recent history, the 20th century Ayatollah uh, Khomeini. Um <laughs> You know, I think about when Ayatollah Khomeini arrived in Iran after from his exile and they asked, uh, you know, Ayatollah, the uh, Anglophone reporters, I forget if they were British or American, but they were like, uh, how do you feel to be back in Iran? And, you know, his aide translates for him and then he just goes, hitch, you know, which means like nothing, like I feel nothing. <laughs> and everyone was like interpreting this, you know, trying to figure out like what it like people who hated him were like, oh, he doesn't care about Iranians. He's like just out for himself and like his own power. But then other people were like, it's because he has no ego. Like he's so mystical. He doesn't feel anything at all. Like he's not a man of emotions like he's, you know, and that's that same like mystique where and I think it's it's like where people who in the same way that, yeah, he has that sort of thing where it's like you can hate like his government, but like there's still like an uh, an aura of awe around Khomeini for people. It's very similar with Taylor and like sort of like the devotion that she can inspire is a similar type of thing where people want to like go to bat for her, even if like, you know, despite the fact that her like private jet like dumps like more CO2 into the atmosphere than like 500 people for 500 years or something, you know, like uh, in one year, that's how much. But, But, and I think it's because she's such a cipher and because This is like, you know, like the Gaylor stuff, too. You know, like you how you can read so much into like the sort of cryptic clues that she gives, you know, and like the and the insight that she gives feels so precious. Yeah. Do Um, we do we want to talk about the the Gaylor phenomenon for a sec? Yeah, because Christina, (laughs) correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Khaled told me that you're you're a bit of a Gaylor yourself. I would say I'm. Yeah, I'm not. Yes, I, I I do believe that Taylor is bi and has had relationships with women. And I think there's so much 
evidence out there to prove that it's true that like if you don't believe it you're just not looking close enough <laughs> I, so yeah I, I think like that's a pretty I good myself... summary that that's a good summary of what the gaylor position is basically is that, that Taylor is secretly bisexual right there's several or just a straight up lesbian and all of her boyfriends are beards right. I think Joe uh, particularly yeah. lends himself to that categorization due to his like herbiferous kind of qualities um, herbiferous mm, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Joe Jonas, Taylor Lautner, like you could go down the list and kind of go. Hmm, Tom Hiddleston. There is a yeah, there there was this Tumblr like, OK, so the lover era, like when she was kind of teasing that and she was wearing all these rainbows, like I think everyone thought she was going to come out as bi. And there was this one Tumblr that has since been shut down. Thank God. But I forget <laughs> what it was called. It was like, hey, gosh. Oh, I was don't, it Tay Tay's beard? Was yeah, Tay Tay's beard? Yeah, I yeah. remember you showing it to me. Yeah, and they, um. I was like so lost in the sauce with that, <laughs> uh, with that Tumblr. Like they, but they had a. I remember there was like a timeline someone posted that kind of lined up her albums and like when she would have written the songs, when publicly she dated these guys. And then photos of like her being friends with like Carly Kloss and like Diana Agron and like mm. Emily Poe, who was her old uh, like violinist from her first band. And like uh, it does not line up with the guys that she dated publicly. <laughs> mm. Just does like the albums. Yeah. Mm. Like there's a lot there. I mean, I can send there's like a Swift Gron post where you can read about her relationship with Diana Agron, which like absolutely was real. <laughs> I'm not as but. up on Swift Grand lore. There's many like different aspects of it. You know, I've heard people saying that like, oh, Taylor, which is the main one, Carly Claus and Taylor, which I'm, you know, I've gone back and forth. I feel like we've both gone back and forth. I feel like I've always been a little more skeptical than like you have. But at this point, I feel like the kiss between Taylor and Carly like when they were like, oh, they were just like whispering closely to each other at a loud concert. Like, mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't buy. It seems like and there's also like videos that seems to suggest it. Like there's lots of like. But yeah, I, I've seen people say like, you know, Kaler is just like a, a cover for Swift Gron. Like that's like a red herring. You wow. know, they're trying to like cover up Swift Gron, which is the truth with like Kaler, right. which is a fake out. But yeah, there's also some yeah. say there's tree lore. I've heard of tree lore as well, which is like with right. tree pain, I guess you would be gay. I don't know. There's this one that I've seen recently and I'm trying to Google and remember what it was called. It's like there's there's Hetlers who think she's heterosexual. But then there's this one, I forget what it's called. And it, it's people who believe that she is gay, but just can't express it. <laughs> <laughs> she lives in a world. Like she's Before never acted on it, but it's like a repressed yeah. desire of hers. Yeah. And that's now a whole like, sex.
I was just watching the, today, like the man music video, like in preparation, like, you know, going over some like Taylor's like standout videos. Like, uh, and I think that the man is actually one of the better videos. Like, obviously it's not like in, well, I, I would say it's not like my favorite, one of my favorite songs. It's like a pretty good one on lover, but, uh, the video I think is actually one of the more interesting ones. Um, cause she does like pretty like good, like full drag for it. You know, she's like, it's interesting, you know, like sort of companion to the song. Uh, I think it complexifies it. But, and if one I thing were that, a man, I'd be the man. Is yeah, the and one chorus, thing, right? right? And one thing that I feel like complexifies the song in the video is that if you, you know, in the in the lyrics of the song, it's mostly the ways that she would be a man would be like, you know, things like people wouldn't uh, interrupt her, you know, people would take her seriously, people wouldn't like if she got angry, that'd be okay, you know, things like that, you know, like people wouldn't mm. say like, oh, she's bossy, you know, things like that. But in the video, uh, if she admitted to watching ghetto gaggers, people would just think it was cool and epic. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and not like be that. like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> but um, but in the video, it's interesting that like most of the ways that like like manhood is portrayed is based on like, you know, like snorting coke off of like n- like women in, in bikinis or like there's this one scene where like she is on a boat. There's with, like, a, a cocaine bunch of, reference like, in that video. Well, I don't know. Maybe she's taking a shot off of him, but I feel like okay. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. But I, I mean, I, I, maybe I was picking again. This is like I'm having like Taylor false memories already, but it was something like that. Or maybe she he was like, you know, it was some kind of like she was like being like a, a black mass altar kind of. It was like, you know, her body was being used for some like purpose like a table i maybe it wasn't snorting coke maybe i just inserted that but maybe it was like you know something like that but there's another scene where like similarly um she's like on a boat like you know ranting on the phone to somebody you know like on a yacht which taylor i think actually had as a child right she had like a, a sea ray you know uh, she was yeah, in, like yeah. in sea ray magazine but oh, she did have a yacht okay yeah but on this boat in the video it's like all these like women in bikinis and there's this one like very clear shot of one of them who Maybe I'm just being autistic and face blind. I don't know if you remember this, uh, Christina, but it looks to me like Carly. Like she is, maybe you have to verify this like separate, but I feel like there's this one like close up shot of like one of these, like this uh, throng or these groupies that he has or the, the male Taylor has. And like, there's, there's only like a, a face shot of like one of them that like lingers. And I feel like it looks like Carly. It has the same like sort of cheekbones thing. Yeah, I don't know. I was yeah. like, she, is this she maybe approved? cast a Carly lookalike. Yeah, exactly. To be like, if I were the man, I would have Carly, and like uh, Josh yeah. Kushner wouldn't. You know. Um, yeah, because Carly, Carly's powerful. Carly's connected, right? She's a Kushner now. She's a Kushner. Yeah. yeah. In fact, I think Taylor's longtime nemesis, uh, Kanye West, who had has had a slightly different trajectory over the last year. I think it is recent kind of Nazi appearances uh, on various, you know, radio shows and stuff. I think he often kept going back to, like, having dinner with, like, Josh Kushner and Carly Kloss and, like, how Josh Kushner, like, screwed him over on some deal. Like, he kept saying vague things about, like, hanging out with them and, I don't know, like, somehow they disrespected him or something like that. And, uh, Khalid, you found that, I guess, the Kushners also were very disrespectful towards Carly Kloss. Allegedly. Herself. They did, yeah, they were not as accepting of her as they were of Ivanka. And like, apparently like his dad, I forget what his dad's name is, but like the patriarch of the Kushners. The one who went to w- prison. Yeah, exactly. For 17 years. Apparently being a laundry model is more embarrassing than being indicted for white collar crimes. But And they, uh, uh, I think somebody said they, uh, she was referred to as a shiksa. Um, yes, exactly. Well, yeah, Jared Ivanka was like, converted to Judaism, but right. Carly did not. And Carly was seen as like 
uneducated, but isn't, but that surprised me because isn't Carly's whole vibe, or maybe this is why it's her vibe, isn't it that like she's the model who knows how to code and like is an entrepreneur or some shit like that? Wasn't that her? I don't know. I don't know if she knows how to code, but she did start a coding with Classy, like nonprofit or something. That's right. And she's also, I remember from years ago, digging around various stuff. She's very close friends with uh, David Geffen, isn't she? I hadn't heard of that before you mentioned it. Um, I think she's, yeah. she was pictured a lot on like Instagram, like hanging out on his yacht. Let me just put, which I mean, I think maybe the Kushners and Geffen. Yeah, uh, Carly Kloss Towers over Powell and billionaire DreamWorks founder uh, and billionaire David Geffen. This is 2022. So she's been hanging out with him for a while blah, blah, blah. She steps out with David Geffen in Capri. The supermodel was joined on the walk by Geffen, whom she linked arms with as they enjoyed the sights. This is like a paparazzi article. I don't know why they were, I guess they just hang out. They just, you know, go around Europe and walk around together in public. Hmm. And she has a recent Adidas campaign right after Kanye got, hmm, interesting, right after Kanye got dropped. Well, Kanye so obviously has like a very prominent Taylor connection. You know, that was like during the early, that was like an iconic moment in the early days of Taylor was, you know, huge again, sort of speaking to what you were saying, you know, when she, oh, you know, I, it's burned into my memory. Like, you know, I sing country music. So thank you for giving me the chance to win a VMA award. You know, when she still did the, uh, what the newer generation of Swifties called the yeehaw. Uh, Taylor persona. (laughs) Following in the footsteps of John Fogarty, just pretending she's from the South. Like, hey, sometimes it works. Yeah, I was saying to Christina over text yesterday that it's interesting, like, how on her re-records of the album, she, like, drops back into that accent and, like, without the sort of pretense of, like, this is how I really talk, you know? It's like, she, but she's still, like, very much a master, like, of that form. But anyway, yeah, and, like, you know, that whole... And then, of course, like, history... Uh, happened, uh, which sent both of their careers like on an inexorable trajectory towards where they are now. Um, it really did it away. Like it really did. And this is one of the first events. Like I knew who Taylor Swift was. I would probably consider myself like back then. Like I was a Kanye West fan by that point, and was probably like Taylor Swift, whatever. Like that's not cool. And I remember like how every that was such a viral moment for like both of them, and it did kind of confirm. I don't think as Kanye later rapped, uh, I made that uh, Beesler famous. Uh, I don't mm-hmm. think she was already famous by that point. But it did, I think, like the victimization of Taylor. And then I remember Kanye, I think, like went on Jimmy Kimmel the next night and like cried and was like talking about his mom. And then people felt really bad. And then wasn't, didn't Kanye come out with like my beautiful dark twisted fantasy like after the Taylor incident? And that was like... It was, yeah, it was, no, I think it was the the next VMA like the net following year, like 2010, Taylor and Kanye both performed. And I think Taylor saying innocent, that pretty... Which is about Kanye. Yeah, right. Yeah. She was barefoot on stage, I remember. And it was just like really leaning into the like, I'm a victim vibe. And then I think Kanye, if I remember correctly, correct me if I'm wrong, closed out the show with Runaway. And that was like his first performance of like that album live and it was so much better than her performance (laughs) i mean more than a victim i feel like innocent is like literally like a christ figure you know like literally like i cleanse you kanye like of your sins like i sacrifice myself so that you can be like you are an innocent like it's okay that you like he knows not what he does at the vmas yeah like exactly i guess you really 
Um, Is that from, that's from Speak Now, right? Yeah, it was on Speak Now. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, which was and, very and much like her, or like, because, you know, yeah, she was really, again, like to the earlier point, she was really heavily critical. Like, people were like, oh, you know, I remember the day after that happened, um, people were, t- like, my professor was talking about it in class and was like, that was all staged. He was, he was British. He's like, it was staged. If you think that, that for a second that that was real, you're, you're an idiot, you know? And it's like, well, it seems like uh, history has judged that. Uh, certainly to the people involved, they certainly experienced it as something that was not, like, kayfabe. Uh, it drove them both insane. Real. And, yeah, so he was like, everyone gets what they want. You know, Kanye gets the attention, and then Beyonce gets to be this, you know, gregarious person and everything. And he, yeah, he was like, was and that, that little country girl gets the attention, you know? And, I, like, so that was like, the attitude toward her, like, that little country girl, you know, like, this sort of... So I feel like Speak Now was part of, like, after that, she's like, I have to... That's why she wrote, like, every single song. And right. I think that mm. echoes to this day with, like, the Olivia Rodrigo, like, Grammy stuff, you know? I like, just read about that or, last night. I didn't realize there was, like, this beef, but it was kind of... In- it, it it's got honestly this, kind like, of weird, fucked up. Like It is kind of fucked up. Like, like I don't not know. Just, I, I, yeah. I wonder, I where did uh, Olivia Rodrigo go? Because, like, I heard about her nonstop, like, two years ago, and then it's, like, she kind of like poofed away. I guess she's coming back this year with an album, but her music drops in like. Well, she's months, like, yeah, she's like a lab-grown like Taylor clone, but or yes, you know, like uh, she's like she's a, a zoomer. Yeah, she's like a she's designed to be like uh like the next Taylor and everything, but they push it a little bit too far with having her like directly like take two of Taylor's songs on her debut album. Like, yeah, and can then, we break down what happened on this? Because I was a little bit surprised. I didn't realize that this, like... It's crazy that it was know, two. It was reported on. Like, if it yeah, were well, one, not, not it would just be like... Two, not just two, but three songs on really? her hit Damn, album, I thought it was Sour. Two. Well, no, no, no. Two from Taylor, and then the other song... Oh, I was from Good Haley Williams, right. ...was from Haley Williams of Paramore, yeah. which, like, somebody had done, like, a mashup on YouTube of the two songs, and those are super fucking similar. Like, the yeah. entire song... And like, and then and on notably top of on that, Eras Taylor, you know, is now like collaborating with Haley Williams and also with uh-huh. Sabrina Carpenter, right? Who is like yeah, who Olivia's. I guess has beef with Olivia Rodrigo. Yeah, well, because Olivia Rodrigo also like you know I don't know I don't I don't I mean again like Olivia Rodrigo's young and everything, but she's certainly not on the level of Taylor in my view. Maybe Zoomers will disagree, but. I, also I listen feel to like, a few yeah, of those songs. They're, they're and I, catchy. I don't blame her because she's very young. But whoever, like you know, the she, the her, people her who handlers. are handling her, yeah, yeah, and you know, maybe it's to the credit of like the Swift family and like even Young Taylor. Like at that time, that like you know, she there were certain things like that, like Camilla Bell, you know, with the whole like better than revenge thing and everything. But like um, you know, that song where she basically like is slut shamed like some other like young starlet or whatever. But mm. uh, I feel like Olivia Rodrigo really like initiated like a mob against Sabrina Carpenter. Like, I don't know. Interesting. I didn't, I don't know too much about like the origin of their beef, but, but I want to know what happened with like these three songs on Olivia Rodrigo's album is that like the publishing companies that like own the songwriting rights, they basically announced at a certain point, oh, like actually two of these songs on her album are based upon, they use interpolations of two different Taylor Swift songs, and therefore half of the songwriting royalties basically go to uh, Jack Antonoff and Taylor Swift, and then I think Saint Vincent was a co-writer yeah. on another one. Mm-hmm. And so actually, like on the same one, yeah, I think that sw- that I think little that switching they had worked with Saint Vincent, so Saint Vincent was credited for the yeah, yeah. And like when you listen to it, like yeah, it's it's I mean it's like 
couldn't you just like change it a little bit? Like, I don't know. It's very fucking odd that they would do that. And they did it again with a Paramore song where 50% of the royalties had to go to Haley Williams. And so like what ended up happening is like Olivia Rodrigo has lost millions of dollars in royalties from those hit songs because now half of the money is like going to Taylor and Jack Antonoff and Haley Williams, et cetera. And like, there's all these rumors swirling around that Taylor was like, taken aback and kind of turned off and like a little bit pissed about whatever went down in that whole situation. Like it's not entirely clear of, you know, exactly like, did they do this maliciously on purpose? And like afterwards, like they all admitted that like, Oh yeah, well I I did use Taylor's thing as inspiration and it was so beautiful and blah, blah, blah. But then you notice that like they don't like interact on social media anymore. Like they don't, they're never seen interacting at like the same events they're at. And like Taylor is, cozying up to like all of Olivia's like ops basically. So people are like, Ooh, something happened. But yeah, yeah it's very interesting. I, like how that wanna, could even happen. Yeah. I want to hear your read on this broader phenomenon, like whether the particular like Olivia situation or like the broad, cause I do feel like, you know, uh, one thing I will say, maybe, maybe not in defense of like Olivia, but you know, sort of to qualify, like, you know, the defense of Taylor is that she definitely does have a thing where again, she's so protective of her authorial, like, you know, she needs to protect her image as being like a creative. Per- like we even I remember like one of the first times Taylor came up on our show was like you were reading that article where it said like Taylor doesn't write her own music, which is like, you know, that that idea oh, even think, being out yeah, there. Yeah, you jumped out. I yeah. was like, well, I mean, like, yeah, I mean, what about Speak Now? Or like, what about all these? Like, she's always there's at least one song on our albums that she's a sole writer on. But, you know, so but it's amazing that perception is out there. And she I feel like is really like, you know, vigilant about it. And that's like part of what motivated her wanting to be the only writer on Speak Now. And that's part of why I feel like this stung so much. But she does definitely do this thing where like it goes beyond that, where like she can't like it kind of bleed into like I am like the like sort of uh, root of all this new generation of like pop singer like. I remember her, she took credit for Billie Eilish, basically, like, you know, really? she, Interesting. she gave a speech where she was like, you know, yeah. I mean, Billie kind of like said something like, oh, I love Taylor. You know, I was I used to play her songs or something. And then Taylor like really leaned into it and was like, but I definitely think she has this sort of like, I think she started with it with Olivia Rodrigo, too. Like, you're my little sister, you know, like yeah, yeah. in the same way. She's like, oh, Jack Antonoff, like he's family. He's family. So like he's not really separate from me, like in a way, you know, like so if he helps me with my songs, like he's part of me. And I feel like she kind of did that like in a subordinate way of like, you're my little sister to like some of these younger people. But at the same time, I totally get why she's pissed off over this because like, you know, first of all, the whole like rise of interpolation, like in pop music and outside of hip hop is like also something that I think was partially inspired by Taylor because of uh, look what you made me do. <laughs> right. With when they called them, they called Right Said Fred. <laughs> And, and ask them to use it before Wait, the song did they, came out. Did they literally use the interpolation of, of uh, I'm, I'm Too Sexy, sexy for My yeah. Shirt? You'll get, you'll really? I'm Too Sexy, yeah. I saw um, somebody comparing it to that, like, negatively, saying this sounds like Right Said Fred, but I didn't well, realize they, have, they yeah, actually Yeah, they have a songwriting credit on it. And they called wow. them to say, like, can we use this? And I think Right Said Fred was like, we approve of it. It has a similar spirit to I'm Too Sexy or like whatever. But I feel like in this case... I like the fir- song first came out and there was no crediting of Taylor when they mm. knew 
it wasn't just like a thing where it's like, oh, you know what? Like this kind of sounds too much like this or whatever, you know, but they didn't call it like they, they tried to like sneak it through somehow. Exactly. And they, they like and Taylor had to call them, you know, so I'd be like, like, it seems like somebody on Taylor's team, like clocked that shit. And it then was Jack Antonoff. He was like, you're messing with my Jack. fun period. Um, uh, Jack fucking Jack Antonoff. I, I mean, also wonder if like Jack Antonoff, do you, do you guys know the history or just like who Olivia Rodrigo's producer is Dan Negro? No, I don't okay, think so. He, Dan Negro I think that's how you say it. He was in this Long Island band that I used to listen to in high school called As Tall as Lions. Mm-hmm. And he okay. like came from this like, I guess you could call it like pop punk emo. I don't even know what you would call it. Like brand new esque. Uh-huh. That was Long Island was a big hub for I mean, brand new is from Long Island. So it's it definitely PBS, was. Right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, I think I was also I'm like, I wonder if there was like beef between Dan and Jack in some way oh maybe from some other time <laughs> i don't know is there like an attested Jack- like Jackson- well maybe not attested beef but like do they know each other like from something else or like you know maybe i mean i guess i guess they do have I sort of know. similar backgrounds as being like i'm in like a nostalgic you know sort of quasi like, like yeah yeah they're playing music in new york at the same time i like i just wonder yeah antonov was from new jersey yeah he's from bergenfield but he like Went to high school in the city. So, like, he's not really from New Jersey. Oh, interesting. Right. Yeah, what is Antonov? I mean, Antonov is one of these people that pops up, like, in the Taylor verse that is just, like, so dominant in the music industry now that it's, like, I get that he's, like, he's good at producing and stuff. And he seems to have, like, definitely his finger on the pulse of... Yeah, I don't know whatever's going on uh, in pop. He's music a pretty good moment. collaborator of Taylor's. I really liked what she did with the guy from the National. Which oh yeah, uh, yeah. Aaron, Aaron Dessner. I feel like she, I mean folklore and Evermore. Like you know, I mean folklore at least I'd say is like my favorite probably that she's done, but of like mm-hmm. her full albums. But you know, supplanting Red, which was like you know top status for like a long time, you know, because it has that sort of that it's very like iconic, you know, place in history. But another thing about Taylor is like you know she's like our age, you know, like she like grew up like nineteen eighty nine, like that's nineteen eighty nine, yeah, exactly. But I I feel like I mean he's better than like the Max Martin and like Shellback stuff, generally speaking. I think I don't know. No, it's true. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. It's just weird but that like, I've always found like the the actual band fun period fun. Uh, yeah, to I be like fun. the most yeah. mid boring like band ever. Maybe he is one of those people that's like meant to be a collaborator, but like not necessarily. Yeah. I mean, when he first started working with her, I remember Out of the Woods, I was like, fuck Jack Antonoff, like get away from Taylor. <laughs> you know, like when Out of the Woods first came out, like I was like, fuck I mean, Out of the Woods is, I like Out of the Woods. In retrospect, I mean, I'm looking forward to 1989 Taylor's version for sure. Like I'd well, like to see, you know. Yeah. You know what's funny, actually, like uh, talking about my own like slow kind of uh, warming up to like the whole Taylor verse is the one thing that did it for me. uh, This is kind of funny in retrospect is like when Ryan Adams released the cover album of 1989. Do you guys remember that? Yes, I do. Uh, Yeah. yeah. Like he was like, you know, he had like a sex pest problem like right after that. Right. I remember he got canceled uh, a few years later, um, Mm -hmm. including by, I think, like Phoebe Bridgers, who's now Taylor's Mm -hmm. best friend, interestingly. And I mean, yeah, yeah, Ryan Adams, like not defending him like he was like toxic music industry bro, uh, et cetera. But I mean, I loved Ryan Adams in like the 2000s. Like I... Yeah. Like my older I mean, sister, like Ryan darling. Adams, pilled me. Yeah. yeah. And he was, it's interesting because it seemed like a curveball when I heard it's like 
Ryan Adams used to do this. He used to do like acoustic covers of the Backstreet Boys, like in the late mm-hmm. '90s at concerts and stuff. And they were always kind of like they were good, but like tongue in cheek. But like he would sort of tease out, like, "Hey, you know, these are like well written songs, and like if I sing it in my like sensitive, like Ryan Adams alt country way, like they're just as good as any other song, kind of thing." And I I bumped that album. That was the first like even Taylor Swift adjacent album that I was bumping for a while, like. I mean, like his cover, "Shake It Off," really good. Um, even like "Welcome to New York," just like he made. What, Malcolm New York is one of her, like, yeah, more worst. cringy songs. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Song. Like that is the ultimate. Like I'm with her, fucking 2014, 2015 anthem. Like it's yeah. Oh, I feel it, so bad for anyone at those East Rutherford shows who like had that was their secret song. I know. Oh. Like I feel like. I was saying to you like a little bit before, like some weeks ago or something like that, like London boy, I feel like most of people who live in London, what Welcome to New York was for people who live in New York, where it's just like, and there was a while where she was like, she was like in the back of taxi cab. She was like, I'm the ambassador of the cultural ambassador of New York, but she was like, what's a, a bodega is a store that's open all the time. And like, you can go to it and like, Oh my God, shut the fuck up. Like, it's See, just like that, that's what I felt yeah. like is that like, like welcome to New York was, was the anthem like, for like everybody here was someone else before. The, like not yeah. really. Like there's people who live here, like, you know, or people who are like from New <laughs> Jersey, like they're the same people. They just like live like a couple miles away. Like people from Long Island, like, you know, Dan Nigro or whatever, like, um, it but, wasn't yeah. great, but uh, but Ryan Adams and like style. Oh my god, style is really good. Out of the woods, like it's honestly like maybe one of the better Ryan Adams albums of like the 2010s. Well, maybe I think the he best. even said like he had like a comment. I remember reading at the time where he was like, "Oh, you know, I really connect." I think in the same way that like other people connected with like Red and like earlier albums like that, like the sort of acoustic, like sort of storytelling quality, and like I think that. For I mean, I can speak for myself, like when Taylor was like, I'm pivoting to pop. Like, okay, first of all, like all of her music was always been pop. However, like we knew what she meant. And like for myself, I've always wanted like her to go in the opposite direction. You know, there's always been pop like for on red, you know, it's balanced. There's poppy elements like 22, you know, or we're never getting back together. Then there's stuff like, you know, all too well. Uh, mm-hmm. which of course also is pop, but has like sort a different kind of sensibility. And I feel like, like an Eagles ballad. I've always wanted, and Christina kind of tested this. I've been saying for years, like through all the album, like through rap, through Wendy and I'm like, where's when's she gonna do a folk album? When's she gonna do a folk album? You know, I've always wanted folklore. You know, in 1989, I felt like, uh, you know, she's doubling down on like the other half of things, and I feel like she kind of did that again with Midnight's, which was part of the disappointment of that, where she like needs to be pop star Taylor, you know, and she won't like lean into being Joni Mitchell Taylor. But I remember, but I think Ryan Adams even said something that was like, you know, oh, you know, underneath all the sort of poppiness of 1989, that is still there, which I think is true. And I think that part of the reason why he did that kind of like acoustic version of it was to like uncover that, which is there. I think that's true in general, like in a way, you know, not defending him, like fuck whatever sex pest uh, related thing he did. And I like, you know, I don't think this is an insight that's unique to him. But I think that it is definitely true. I think that Taylor herself like is aware, especially aware of it more and more, which is that like there's a certain perceptual aspect to it where like, that stops people from seeing. It kind of was like a forebear of like uh, the man in a way where it's like mm-hmm. if I were Ryan Adams, if I were like, you know, this soulful indie guy, then people would see me totally differently. Well, you know? yeah, yeah. And I have to admit, like, it kind of, it worked for me as somebody who was, like, not really on, like, the Taylor bandwagon at all. And I wasn't, like, super into Ryan Adams at that point, but still, like, I don't know, checked in on him. And, like, I remembered him. I do think he was a good, like, singer, songwriter. Like, 
he like I feel like he should have been bigger uh, aside from being like a weird sex pest or whatever but like never quite got in his own way he was maybe a little too country and that the hipsters like didn't like that I remember he used to beef the strokes all the time who actually I never I know they're having a revival right now but I always thought we're kind of like whatever but like they were cool and like people that indulge in country weren't but I think him like going to bat for like the strength of Taylor's songwriting and stuff and showing that like, yeah, okay, she's doing a pop thing right now, but no, like she's actually good. Like you should take her seriously. Like she, like that was when like, I think a lot of like the, you know, NPR listening, like Gen Xers in LA, like maybe came around a little bit or like, oh, like Taylor's like not just some pop thing that is like not serious, you know? And I think like she's come around herself and like done that, like proven that point like with the two folk albums during the pandemic and even releasing these new versions of her older stuff, just like putting little tweaks on it to make it like, no, you can take this seriously critically. Like this isn't just a pop record of the mm -hmm. moment. Like these songs are pretty durable. Like you can do new renditions of them. You can do them in different styles and they still kind of work, which is like, that's very of the moment with like remix culture and everything being permeated by like, electronica and like the breaking down of the walls between like hip hop and like, you know, electronic music and rock and everything else. Like she's well poised to be able to now, now she feels more liberated to bounce between these different genres. Like, yeah, I do all of it. Like who cares? Yeah. I mean, like I remember having a really like a viscerally bad re reaction to 1989. Like I remember hearing shake it off and being like, what the fuck <laughs> is this? Because like Red meant so much to me and I just saw her as like a singer songwriter person and I was like, what is going on? And then whatever. I mean, 1989 is one of my least favorite Taylor albums, honestly. And it, like it is what it is. I know people like it and I know it like introduced a lot of people to her. But I think like Reputation is really her best pop album. That, interesting. Interesting. Like really. And I, I know there's like Reputation stands. And I think there's like more and more of them, honestly, like as time goes on. But I feel like that was like more shocking than 1989 because we knew she was pivoting to pop because of like I Knew You Were Trouble and 22 on Red. But like no one, I don't think anyone expected reputation. I, I mean, I didn't. Like a track with future. <laughs> <laughs> yeah reputation was a little bit of a swerve i mean i really i, I still really like uh look what you made me do yeah it's, yeah. Great. it's good uh, it's a but it is interesting how like the th this was something that would be the case of lover too like i think that lover going into lover i think probably i think i think it's we can safely say the worst song that taylor's ever made is is me I, it is so bad <laughs> that's the worst song she ever okay. made i promise that you'll never find another like me I know that I'm a handful, baby, uh I know I never think before I jump And you're the kind of guy the ladies want And there's a lot of cool chicks out there I know that I would psycho on the phone I never leave well enough alone And trouble's gonna follow where I go And there's a lot of cool chicks out there But one of these things is not like the others Like a rainbow with all of the colors Baby doll when it comes to a lover You'll never find another like me.
and her other <laughs> have you heard that song i think that if you heard it you would agree that it's her worst song worse than welcome it new is. york it makes welcome new york seem like good a comparison to me um no i i don't i think you need to calm down was not is not good either it's very cringe like in like the political aspects of it like our you know maddie healy like criticized her for it you know at the time i think which what is did funny. he say he was like oh you, you know she only did that when it was safe you know and it's also i was listening to that song again you know i was listening to lover preparing for this and it's funny how like people were like taylor swift comes out for gay rights and like you know, the music video, like, yes, like, I, I think it's a bit of more of a stronger statement. However, the song itself, there's almost no action, like the lyrics itself, like, there's almost no actual standing up for gay rights at all. There's one line where she says, like, you would rather be in the dark age, which is kind of calling like homophobes medieval. So that's kind of like standing up for gay rights. However, the two other verses are about people being mean to her like online. <laughs> and then the like the, the rest of the gay verse is literally saying, like, just keep it to yourself, you know, like, because this is not an effective strategy to make people not be gay. She says Shade never made anybody less gay. Also, yeah, uh, like. The craziest line that is, why be mad when you could be glad? That's the G-L-A. worst line. Oh. I hate that. That's the worst line. It's so oh stupid. God. She like, is an ally. So this is, yeah, this is a similar thing to Rep, where Rep had these things that are like, you know, I'm leaning into the snake element, you know, like, because this was the evolution of the yeah. Kanye thing, where like, they mm-hmm. released that uh, Taylor's words illegally recorded, which may well be true, like phone call of her, you know, agreeing to that line in the Kanye song. And then they kind of had to be like, oh, well, but he didn't know that she uh, and she was like, yeah, that's not that's funny. That's fine. You know, and then she's like, oh, but I didn't know he's going to say that I that bitch. I made that bitch famous, you know, which I don't know. Maybe some people think some Taylor like I mean, what they accused her of being a snake because like, yeah, she that went she, out like, and tried kind of to this. manipulate the narrative thinking like saying like people try to like because you get that speech saying like, people will try to take credit for your fame and like don't let you know like at, in the aftermath and like but then oh Kim yeah Kim released that thing saying like oh but she agreed to it and then she tried to kind of be like well but I didn't know he was going to say that bitch and then did she release I mean, the lyric video of look what oh, you made right. me did, do on the 10th anniversary of, of Kanye's mother's death oh well but I mean Kanye came yeah. out with a video like that was like you know the video for that song was and Taylor's words like revenge, a revenge porn fantasy that Scooter was in on. So that's part of her animus towards Scooter. But uh, yeah, I don't actually remember. Did Kanye even say that he was going to take credit? I don't remember if it was just bitch or if it was like the I made her famous. Cause no, no, he I said like I he made that bitch famous. Well, he said No, I know he song. said that, but in his talk with her, he might have just oh. said, I feel like Taylor and I might still have sex. Yeah, but in the in the talk, he only said the sex part. Oh, wow. And then what she was mad about was right. she was cool with the sex. And then it was, I made that bitch famous. That exactly. She did not yeah. Like. All right. Well, so that, yeah, then I can see so Taylor's side of it much more. Yeah. Cause like, if it were just about being called that bitch, I guess, yeah, that's offensive, but you know, the thing that she objected to, but yeah, I mean, it's interesting how like him. Yeah. And with apparently scooters urging behind the scenes, you know, manipulated that whole situation. And she like went to hiding, you know, basically like she like, you know, deleted her, all of her social media. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It was, I mean, I was working for, like in media when all that when she was getting canceled and like I had to write about her like all day and like I just remember it was so exciting in a way because like everyone was talking about her and like as a fan I was like really into that but it was so negative (laughs) and like but it was like almost fun to root against her because she had been so beloved for that whole 1989 era and then I think like but then when I think back to like people just hated her for like that summer and it was so intense. And like she talks, obviously, like she talks about 
in Miss Americana how like that time. I mean, she still writes about it. She literally is still to this day writing yeah. about the time that she got canceled. Mm, but I can imagine how tough that was for her after like such a high to to have such a low. Yeah. <laughs> um, and to have it around Kanye yeah. West, like again, like it yeah. forever swirling. I mean, a lot of people also accused her of like she's stirring up this beef like for clout and attention. She's sort of ensuring that like a beef blows up around it so that blah, blah, blah. But it's yeah, really there funny was a lot of hate that, like, her. The, the parallel trajectories of Taylor and Kanye are so funny because it was a whole thing like and it still is to an extent like where people are like, you know, oh, Taylor's like secret like a white supremacist. She's secretly like, a right wing, you know, reactionary and everything. Oh, God, it's very funny that. how like now Kanye is like talking about how he loves Hitler. Yeah. And whatever. Um, but no, I think because you know, rep was like the singles on that, like, look what you made me do. I forget what the other one was, but it was kind of like, oh, you know, this is going to be like my, but most of it was love songs, like about like her earlier relationship with yeah. Joe. Uh, delicate yeah. was delicate. Yeah. Doing? Delicate Del- was on that. Yeah. 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 Delicate's yeah. good. Uh, Delicate's good. Yeah. Are you ready for it? I hate, no, are you ready for it? I hate, I hate end game too. I don't know, but I do I'm like a lot of songs. Like Getaway cars, Bob dancing with our hands tied as a Bob. There's Dress a lot. is great. Yeah. I think I might like rep more than 1989, but there are some good songs in 1989 too. I, I think um, the style, I agree with you, Christina, that like the style of a lot of the songs on 1989 is like kind of a lot to get over. It's just like, it just feels like there's like, there's definitely a better version of Shake It Off that like Taylor could do <laughs> that like isn't that, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, totally. But at the same time, yeah, like, I mean, Reputation, I was surprised by kind of like the trippy, like heavy electronic, like production on Reputation. Like Taylor kind of went like, pretty hard in the in the paint it's like i don't know like i want her to do yeah. like a like a hard techno album or something like you know just like yeah she, yeah she definitely was like i'm gonna do something that no one wants me to do kind of but i think that's like why her secret songs are so fun when she does like every at every show she'll do one song secret song on piano and then one on guitar and it's like kind of really still really fun to hear some of these like you know, rep songs or 1989 songs stripped down to like a guitar or piano, which is like most of them were written that way to be like. Oh, interesting. You know. Oh, so that's what she does. She does like a different rendition of like a song. It, that's her surprise <laughs> song at every show. Yeah. And like, well, I think, like, you know, she writes the, all the songs originally like on piano or guitar and then they become like these mm. elaborate <laughs> things. But yeah, like a skeleton of them still exists. Like even like, you know, yeah, you can even hear the voice memos, you know, um, of yeah, her. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. But she, I guess she writes to track sometimes. And I think with all the national stuff she wrote to track, which is like Aaron Dessner had a track and she like wrote the lyrics and melody to it. But I think okay. like, like historically her way of songwriting is like, yeah, writing. Yeah. Or overhearing Joe Alwyn drunkenly mumbling like a Grammy winning song <laughs> as he like, you know, just ambles through the house. Well, can we, yeah. Can we bring that up? You, you found some stuff. Like there are a lot of people who believe that, uh, her now ex-boyfriend, Joe Alwyn, he got some writing credits under a pseudonym on, uh, the folklore and evermore albums. But a lot of people think he like didn't. And I don't, yeah, I kind of think that, Oh, I, I kind of agree with the idea that like he didn't maybe like, the way he says, like, oh, you know, I was just doodling around in the piano and I said, you know, B- Betty, you know, like, I was just randomly singing this this song, like, it doesn't quite, 
I don't know. I think there might be like a little bit of embellishment there, but I also feel like that I don't think it's like just to launder Joe Alwyn's allowance because like I don't think he really does need an allowance from Taylor. I don't know. What do you think, Christina? Do you believe that he wrote those songs? I mean, I think she was gassing him up. I think (laughs) he he was probably feeling bummed that like, I don't know, she was like in quarantine writing two incredible albums and he wasn't doing anything because he couldn't act. And I think she just like brought him in and like made him feel better because he was probably like depressed. Yeah, you're probably right. I think that's definitely and I think but I think also there's part of like her investment in it, too. I feel like I feel like she wants to like write songs with her BF. Like, I think that's like, yeah, Maddie and I can collaborate on songs, but. You know, he's a dirt. I guess that's not to be. Thank God, honestly. Well, we don't know. They they oh, were God. seen going into restore, a recording studio together, so we might yet see the collab. But that might go into the vault for like the next time. You know, she gets screwed over by someone. <laughs> like, I don't Interesting. Know. Make sure nobody sees you leave. Hood over your head, keep your eyes down. Tell your friends you're out for a run. You'll be flushed when you return. Take the road less traveled by Tell yourself you can always stop What started in beautiful rooms Ends with meetings in parking lots And that's the thing about illicit affairs And clandestine meetings and longing stares It's born from just one single glance But it dies and it dies and it dies Perfume on the shelf that you picked out just for him. So you leave no trace behind, like you don't even exist. Take the words for what they are a dwindling mercurial high, a drug that only worked the first few hundred times. And that's the thing about illicit affairs And clandestine meetings and stolen stares They show their truth one single time But they lie and they lie and they lie A million little times And you wanna scream, don't call me kid Don't call me baby Godforsakenness that you made me You showed me colors you know I can't see with anyone else Don't call me kid, don't call me baby Look at this idiotic fool that you made me You taught me a secret language I can't speak with anyone else And you know damn well For you I would ruin myself a million little times Okay, you know what I want uh, want to make sure that we get to here, because this is an interesting thing I was looking into last night, is uh, talking about her songwriting rights and everything, can we uh can we talk a little bit about Scooter Braun and the saga of like Big Machine and 
how Taylor got kind of like John Fogarty a little bit out of her yeah. out of the ma- out of her masters for her first six albums and like how that ended up and also like who ended up owning her songs to this day. Uh, I think right now, I think Scooter Braun actually was able to. I don't know like why it, it was a like Shamrock Holdings, which is basically Disney. Like uh, well, not now, just right? Disney. Oh, yeah, that, I was going to get to that. Not just Disney, but it's like the personal investment vehicle of the Disney family, like of oh, of, wow. Ro- of Roy E. Disney right, Jr., who firm. is Roy Disney's yeah. Walt, Walt Disney's nephew, and his descendants, including the uh, ultra-progressive billionaire philanthropist Abigail Disney, who, like, is... I don't know. She pops up a lot in a lot of places, but, like, they... As far as I could tell... They are the entity right now that owns Taylor. Like they ended up after this whole power struggle, I think in 2020, they have acquired the rights uh, to her first six albums. So not even Disney, the corporation, which would almost be kind of predictable for them to monopolize that. But like the Disney family themselves like owns this, which That's is, so I don't know. Weird. I just find that so sus. Like why? Yeah. Like, let, them, let it go. Like, And I feel like they really, I don't know. I feel like Scooter, it sucks actually in a way because I feel like it's annoying that Scooter was able to make such a big profit off of them, you know, like on based on what he paid because I feel like he should have. Because I think, I don't know. I feel like Taylor, what she did like was so, it's like, it's masterful. Like the fact that she was like, well, I'll just fucking re-record them. And like, then everyone will fucking listen to them out of loyalty to me. Cause like you actually have no power like from these recordings. That's fucking awesome. I don't know. That's fucking like, Wild. you know. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and they, they must've been like, what that. the fuck? Like, yeah. Like are they like, it's so obvious, but like, yeah. And then she was well, just good like, for her. I mean, yeah, and like then to tell like her like legions of like loyal fans, like, you know, like, scooter is like a fucking demon and you know he is like stealing my music and like destroying like my handwriting he's taking my handwriting he's taking my songs taking my stories like my life my narrative like the only way to fight back is to like never ever stream those songs and only listen to taylor's version and everyone was like yes taylor (laughs) like um, she's gotten everybody like radio stations to like agree to only play taylor's version because she has to like she would have to like license those songs anyway so i don't think that they like they'd still have to call her up to use the old ones so she'd be like you know, if like a, for a commercial or something. So like, oh, I see. Oh, she still has some rights to them, just not like the total masters. Yeah, rights. exactly. And I so see. she could like choose to make no money, but instead she's like, well, you can just use my version. You know. D- do you guys know works. too much about Scooter Braun? He was Justin Bieber's manager, right? That's, that's how right. He, like, yeah. yeah. I went back and looked into like his early bio because he is somebody that like again is like he's like. Jack Antonoff, but like on the kind of manager side of the music industry that is just so fucking powerful. And he's like not that old. He's like maybe 40. Like he's a pretty young guy and just has this like he's a billionaire now and just has this like incredible reach and kind of manages like just about every big top 40 name you've ever heard of. I guess he started in um, I actually found just a little interesting thing about his like early bio is like he was a. the child of Hungarian, like Jewish immigrants from uh, Hungary who left uh, in 1956. And uh, his dad became a dentist in the New York area and his mother was an orthodontist. Wow, double uh, dentistry, basically. Alert for Jimmy, yeah, exactly. And then he went uh, he went to college down in Atlanta and started like throwing parties like he started party promoting down there and somehow like got the attention of like Ludacris and uh, particularly Jermaine Dupree, who, you know, was this is in the early 2000s, like during his like 
his big heyday. And he got brought on board to like organize after parties for like one of these tours that had like Ludacris and Eminem on it. And then Jermaine Dupri was like, do you want to come and be like the head of like my marketing department? And he like dropped out of college and started working for Jermaine Dupri. And then like a few years later split off into his own thing. And then he discovered Justin Bieber and like convinced Justin Bieber and his mom to like move to Atlanta for like a trial period with like no promises attached. And then he got Usher involved and all that shit. And then he had his huge come up with Bieber and made a bunch of money off that and then spun it into, I think he's the manager of Ariana Grande. He's the manager of like uh, Demi Lovato, Jay Balvin and a bunch of other people. And now, yeah, he runs like RBMG records and and also Hybe America, which is like a subsidiary of like a huge, I think actually a K-pop like mega entertainment company from South Korea. Like that's most recently. He's become like the head of the American version of that and is just like I been, feel- yeah, tearing tearing it up um i feel like you know it should be like for someone who's like so into like signs and like symbols like taylor should know there's like a red flag when you have like an eight-year-old boy name and you're like a, an adult man like scooter scooter or why the fuck is his name scooter scott it's samuel weird. scooter braun yeah it's weird how everyone know. involved in the masters thing was named scott scott forchetta scott yeah. Swift. like what is huh. one of scott's what is it with all these Scots? Yeah. I mean, he did grow up also, uh, I think, in like around like Greenwich, Connecticut, I think. Um, yeah. In Greenwich, Connecticut. So like he came from some kind of like, you know, higher class, like weird background. I almost get weird like Brett Ratner vibes from him as like this he is like a little boy from like the vibes. mafia, like put there to like run everything. And then he just like rockets to the fucking top. OK, interesting. Yeah, now he's in the tech sphere. I guess he was an early investor in Uber, Spotify, Waze, Dropbox, Pinterest, Lyft, uh, Noom, Liquid IV, and others. And then he uh, has he this holding. Yeah, know, he sounds, sounds evil, evil, which is what I'm Taylor evil. said about him. And, um, <laughs> you know, he yeah. is, so he has his holding company, Ithaca. And, uh, oh, he hosted a fundraiser for Hillary Clinton at his home in 2015 and hosted a fundraiser for Kamala Harris 2020, and also supported That's Rick Caruso. That's why Taylor refused to endorse Hillary. That's the actual reason. Interesting. Um, Interesting. No, I made that up. But, well, you know, like... Um, no, I do... There's one thing about Scooter. So this is maybe a conspiracy I have, but I learned about Justin Bieber for the first time from a Taylor Swift vlog on her old YouTube in, like, 2009, And she like had, she used to do these like vlogs, like her on tour. And like, I watched one of them and I remember One Love, which was his first single was like playing. And I was like, what is this? And then I discovered Justin Bieber and then he got really famous. And I, when like the Scooter Braun thing, like surfaced when he was like buying Big Machine Records or buying her masters or whatever, like I mentioned this, I think to John Carmonica, who is the podcast. He, he's the pop critic at the New York Times. We're like online friends, but we only talk about Taylor. And I think I like sent something to him about it and he like retweeted it. And like within seconds, Tree Payne had like scrubbed Taylor's YouTube of that video that had been up there wow. for years. And so I feel like they're, she's known Scooter for a long time, mm-hmm. clearly. If she's like using, like was like an early Justin Bieber, whatever not a doctor but like and I just I'm like what went down there like there must have been some bad blood from a long time ago bad blood exactly 
Exactly. Yeah. I well, mean, I, I mean, think he was he never managed her, right? No. No. I think, I mean, part of what is compelling about Taylor is that, like, for instance, like, she has, like, incredibly good instincts, but then, like, part of, as she's, like, sung about many times, like, her, like, mistakes, like, her bad instincts about, like, you know, people, like, misjudging people. So, in a way, I feel like I trust her, like, instincts about people, but in some cases, like, for instance, well, I mean, I guess it, it uh, ended in pretty quickly, but I don't know. I, I, I'm concerned that he's not gone forever. Uh, Maddie Healy, that is. Uh, I feel like that's oh, I see, I see. very bad judgment call. And he needs to be like, I think that, you know, there's a lot of people out there who recognize the incredible power Taylor has and they would like to control it for themselves or to pollute it for their own. You call it, you call it, you have your own little pet conspiracy theory about what was maybe up with the whole Maddie Healy thing from the perspective of like a almost like a COINTELPRO operation against (laughs) Taylor Swift, right? Well, I mean, I look, not saying it's the government, but like some some forces. No, 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 not the government. I'm not committing to it fully. However, there, Maddie Healy is a known associate of a certain subculture that's largely heavily represented in, in the podcasting world. You know, for instance, people who are in the orbit, you know, of uh, Peter Thiel, um, you know, or kind of like dirtbag left type people or like post leftists, you know, like mm-hmm. he's friends with mm-hmm. Dasha, was photographed mm-hmm. with her very recently. He went on, uh, famously went on the Adam Friedland show. It is a known uh, modus operandi of Peter Thiel, as we know that he like tries to, you know, I was saying to you like uh, recently, like it's ironic, like given his obsession with Lord of the Rings, that like his approach to like car, like culture and media is like basically what Sauron does in Lord of the Rings, where he can't create <laughs> anything of his own. He can only like pollute and ruin it and destroy what like what others have made. Uh, and exactly. that's like what he, that's like what he does with like influencers. You know, he tries to like slow like through like th- like as a hidden, you know, and like he manipulates people like in a very like he doesn't like just straight up give them money that's not how he works like he like sends people into their orbit he like gets them into you know group dms and things like that Mm -hmm. and then you know just slowly is like oh hey like what about all this stuff with like how dangerous it is to live in these cities or like whatever the fuck i don't know like uh bullshit like peter thiel like or like uh you know you need to become like a greek or like a some obscure like orthodox schismatic catholic like i don't know but yeah uh, the cognitive infiltration of influencer exactly um so i yeah so i feel like it is interesting and i i know taylor you know yeah like uh as we've talked about she has that incredible power uh an incredible and she commands that incredible like cultural sway and i think that's of interest to people and i not i think you know, Maddie Healy might not be like a, he might be more of an asset than an agent, you know, because I feel like he mm-hmm. is, he's just a fucking mess. He's an idiot. Like, fuck him. But he's definitely, he's a force for, for, for ill and of chaos. And Taylor needs to stay away from him. Um, what record label is the 1975 one? I don't know. Uh, I, I had never know. listened to 1975 before this. Like, when it first, I first heard about it, I looked up like best 1975 song. And like it said, that song, like, love it if we made it. And, like, I listened to that, and I was like, this fucking sucks. <laughs> like, I, I hated it. Like, it was awful. I don't know. Like, I, I um, find it, I, I, it's, I, I find it basically contemptible. Like, <laughs> just not interesting at all. And I do, like, I, I have also noticed, maybe this is also going into this conspiracy. Again, not fully committed, but it is, it is conspicuous. I do notice that, like, people in that same orbit, they have shown a certain, like, they're united in their hatred against Taylor, of Taylor, you know? They have shown a certain interest in hating her, you know, whether, like, it's just, like, commenting. Like, I remember, I mean, I wouldn't include him in this group, so, but 
and you know, I, I wouldn't include him in this in this larger group, but I remember the, the one of the guys from uh, the blowback made that remark back in the day where he said like, "Uh, it's so weird. Like adults care about Taylor Swift. It's like she is an adult. She's our age. She's thirty. She's thirty years old. Like she's she's thirty three. She's, she's in her Jesus year. Exactly. Yeah. She's in her Jesus year. Yeah. It's like she is herself an adult. Like she's I think probably older than than that guy and then you know also other people you know are always kind of like making these sort of mocking jibes at taylor it's interesting that none of them you know there's there's no one in that in that circle i feel like and of course there was a whole red scare episode about about taylor so just saying it's interesting how no one in that orbit like will go to bat for taylor they're all like threatened by her and they all like slither into the into the dark and hiss at her from the sidelines like waiting for their time (laughs) to strike they're the true snakes um I would agree. I would agree. You with your words like knives and swords and weapons that you use against me. You have knocked me off my feet again. Got me feeling like nothing. You with your voice like nails on a chalkboard calling me out when I'm wounded. You picking on the weaker man. Well, you can take me be so mean you with your switching sides and your wildfire lies and your humiliation you have pointed out my flaws again as if i don't already see them i walk with my head down trying to block you out because i'll never impress you
like actually speaking about you know ownership of the 1975 that i mean it's all so convoluted these days because i think it's all owned by like three it's like sony universal music group and like one other basically and like warner own everything but their record label is dirty hit i think that's like their imprint and that seems to be parent owned maybe by polydor records which is german british but that's part of uh universal music group but ultimately, Interscope Records, which in my opinion is uh, one of the sussest uh, record labels to emerge like in the 1990s, like the, the label that brought us like rap metal and like hardcore gangster rap and uh, is closely uh, connected to David Geffen and the Interscope Geffen A&M imprint. But it's all kind of owned by like the same mega and, and I think even Interscope itself is owned by UMG these days. Not saying that has anything to do with like what uh but actually if you want to know who the interscope records uh artists are right now that includes uh lady gaga blackpink billy eilish uh olivia rodrigo selena oh. gomez hmm. Hmm. uh interesting <laughs> yeah and uh and and in some sense i guess the uh the 1975 as well so um Hmm. Yeah, Taylor is truly the most persecuted person in history. Sorry, what are you going to say? Yeah, no, she really is. (laughs) I So I was Googling something about Scooter Braun, and I just saw this TMZ headline from seven hours ago. I don't know if you guys saw it, that said Taylor Swift's dad reportedly made $15 million in music catalog sale to Scooter Braun. What? Mm. Well, he did, right? Because he was uh, like a co-owner of Big Machine. He owned an interest in it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but remember she was saying like he was... She was blindsided and she didn't know anything about this. She didn't know Scooter Braun. And clearly, like, she knew Scooter Braun because she clearly, like, knew she was, like, promoting Justin Bieber on her early vlogs and, like, clearly knew about it. I don't know. This is a, this, yeah, that, I don't know why. That, yeah. that was what Scott Borchetta like said at the time, right? He was saying, he like, he sold that, it to Scooter Braun. Yeah. yeah, he was saying, like, there's no way that Taylor didn't know, like, her dad was, like, in the room and everything. Like, but I guess he was, like, represented by a lawyer or something. And, like, it did kind of seem weird where he was like, look, here's proof. Like, I texted Taylor to let her know the deal was going through, like, personally. And, like, it was, like, the night before or something. And it's like, well, it doesn't really help <laughs> your case that much because that's, like, kind of the same thing as, like, waking up to the news. Like, so I don't know. Yeah. Like, but, yeah, I mean, certainly, like, that was what, like, had said. And it does seem like, yeah, he would have had, like, some inkling of it. But I don't know. Maybe there was some way where I guess what Taylor kind of tried to suggest was that. And I wouldn't necessarily put it past them that they tried to hide it from her father to an extent, too. Like, because there was some pre-existing bad blood. Because, I mean, she said, like, he's always been manipulative. He's always been a bully. He's always, you know, et yeah, cetera. Yeah. Like, even though Scott Borch had a claim to have no knowledge of that, like... It does seem like it's weird that she was like, oh, you know, I was blindsided. I found out like this about this about everybody like like everybody else on, you know, the 30th. And he's like, that's not true. I texted her on the evening of the 29th. And it's like, 
Well, all right, but I feel like it would be one thing if you texted her like in November of the previous year, but like. Oh, also, it's like she clearly knew her catalog was up for sale, right? Yeah, yeah. they claim they offered was, her a she, deal. Yeah, they offered her a deal, right? right? Yeah. But it doesn't seem to be a very serious deal. I'm getting big Saul Zantz vibes from all of this. There was another article I found that was interesting because, like, Taylor didn't just stop there with this whole controversy. She called out certain names that, like, you can get in trouble Finance for calling out. Yes. Uh, yeah, so, I like, I found this in the timesofisrael.com uh, from 2020. It says, Taylor Swift is drawing criticism for calling out, quote, the Soros family in an Instagram post. It's the latest salvo in the pop superstar's ongoing battle with her former record label. The family has long been in the center of anti-Semitic conspiracy theories about Jewish domination of global banking. George Soros, a Hungarian billionaire and liberal philanthropist, typically is the main target. But his son, Alex, the deputy chair of his father's Open Society Foundations, an international group that promotes liberal causes, has begun to feature them as well. In a new Twitter post in which the singer lashes out against a new album being released by her former label, Big Machine Records, Swift claims that talent manager Scooter Braun is using money taken from several sources, including Alex Soros. The hugely popular singer has an ongoing nasty and public fight with Big Machine Records, where she released her first six albums. So, like, she called out by name. I was like, yeah, the Soros family. I, I mean, of course, like, the whole, like, thing about it being anti-Semitic is, like, because she also mentioned 23 Capital. She also mentioned the Carlisle Group. Like, you know, it wasn't like she was saying, like, only the Soros. Carlisle and, like, group the Carlisle Group. The planners, like, you know. The like, Carlisle Group. Yeah, she says after, uh, in December, she said, after I was denied the chance to purchase my music outright, my entire catalog was sold to Scooter Braun's Ithaca Holdings in a deal that I'm told was funded by the Soros family, 23 Capital, and that Carlisle Group, which I love that... Props to Taylor for calling out the fucking Carlisle Group, one of the sussest private equity companies, like, in the last, like, 50 years, yes, basically. I like, like that she named that, like, those, like, people who financed the deal, too. Like, that was, like... Taylor, come know, on, SJ. Like, yeah, let's, come talk, on, let's SJ. talk real, talk real interlocks here. We need to know, like, the inside, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, also, like, interesting time, this is in 2020, but just, like, a month ago, it was announced that Alexander Soros is, like, basically taking over for George. Like he's taking over that is like the, the Open Society Foundations. I think like the Soros Fund. Yeah. He won the succession that she battle. Didn't say Alex Soros and said the Soros family because I'm not sure. Like, was it financed by his family? But I guess I don't know. No, elsewhere she she emphasized uh, Alexander Soros, which is right, also yeah. the Sor Soros family was also involved with 23 Capital, yeah. which bought a lot of like I guess soccer oh, I teams see. in Europe. Um, yeah. And then the Carlisle Group, which I think was founded by, among others, former Vice President Dan Quayle and had like George H.W. Bush and members of the Bin Laden family involved in it in like the 90s see, and this the is what I'm saying. 2000s. Like, well, um, I mean, and it goes back to the whole thing the of Kushners. the Kushners. Right. See, the we're now oh, and then damn. Geffen, wow, Geffen, Interscope. Uh, you see what's going on here? This well, is it, this <laughs> is a tight circle. I mean, it all goes back to her original decision to stay on Big Machine to begin with and not, you know, sign an RCA and like not, you know, I mean, it is interesting right. how like a lot of the a lot of the people who she was coming up with had very difficult paths and like struggled in a lot of ways like that Taylor didn't necessarily wish like, it like a little later. Like yeah, she well, was spared the whole like vigilant citizen. She like, didn't have the experience the that, for instance, I mean, you know, we've talked about Demi in previous episodes, like, you mm -hmm. know, all love and sport to Demi, you know, but now she Taylor again, didn't the have way. the experience that Demi, that Demi uh, had, you know, or I mean, she even would mention, she would draw a point of contrast herself with like Lindsay Lohan, like when she was coming up, that was like during Lindsay Lohan's like whole sort of experience. And then like even Miley kind of had like a little bit of not so much as others. 
even really Selena. No, she did. No, they Selena, all they all as went through that the documentary. Like had a really really rough time, and like Taylor did like have. Like, you know, she got like canceled online. She had to run away to England with Joe, but it's like not <laughs> really. I don't, I feel like it's not on the level of having like, a meltdown and like having to go, like, you know, and being dosed up on medication to the point where you're catatonic and then having to go to another therapist who's like, we're going to get you off all this lithium, which is what. And sent to Zombieland forever. I mean, yeah. she, I don't think she had a Harvey uh, or Harley Pasternak as her personal trainer either, which all these other pop stars did and Kanye did, you know, Mr. Zombieland forever. Uh, right, she dude. wasn't being threatened with going to Zombieland forever. I don't know. No, yeah, she so wasn't. And and so, yeah, she, she did have it a little easier, but I don't know. And then also, you know, Scooter Braun, a uh, Hungarian background, just like uh, Soros. I, yep. Hmm. Wow, it all goes back it to... That wow. Hungarian connection. Is this like some like united, like Victor Orban, like left wing, right wing, like Hungarian, like cross op? Maddie Dude. Healy was an Orban agent. Yeah, like, exactly. Sent. It's like yeah. they're fighting Tula's over the soul with of Orban. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah, it's like a cut. It's a battle. It's a proxy war. Yeah, her eras are proxy wars between. Yeah, we guys. might have to watch out, though, because CNN reporter uh, Tara Mulholland said at the time, uh, Taylor Swift deploying a Soros dog whistle is dot, 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 a choice. <laughs> she's she's warning her like, wow, you know, bow down to the Soros faction or we're going to smear you. But yeah, no, but Taylor like it wasn't not. a like it was with a bunch of other people like who she the mentioned. Carlisle group is first. incredibly waspy. So like, yeah, Taylor yeah, is including. It's like, oh, you can't even mention like someone who would empirically was like, come on. I, I mean, know. they really did. I mean, they engineer. So Alexander Soros, the new head of like the uh, that whole powerful foundation that is so influ that is influential in American politics and European politics, engineered like with in collaboration with the Carlisle group. One of the sussest, like private equity, like defense industry groups out there, uh, stole Taylor's masters and then pawned it off to the Disney family who still own it. What's going on yeah. here? You know, like I see why Taylor's pissed off. This is yeah, some shady. This is like some shady fantasy records. I shit. mean, certainly Taylor is critical, paranoid, or sometimes not entirely critical. You know, like when she's often she's she's often perceiving uh, she's very sensitive to slights and she's often perceiving slights where maybe. They weren't intended, but, you know. She's a vigilante. She's yeah, vigilant. she's a vigilante. She's a vigilant yes. citizen. <laughs> yes, yeah. Although it should be noted that in her song Vigilante Shit, her concept of vigilantism is reporting crimes to the police. Um, <laughs> white-collar crimes. Yeah, exactly. White -collar, yeah. yeah, ambiguous white-collar crimes to the FBI. So Interesting. But she is, like, the most good rich person there is, I think. Yes. I mean, I wonder... Again, I'm not letting her off the hook. And like I said, like Taylor, you know, ultimately this thing is a good. I don't, I don't think Taylor is a billionaire yet, but when she is, you know, this tour it will happen soon. Her. Yeah. And there's no thing as a good billionaire, really a good millionaire. So, you know, but again, it's kind of like it's kind of like that Khomeini thing, you know, where like Khomeini made a whole bunch of horrible decisions in the Iran-Iraq war. Like he, you know, but people still like, there's something still about him that is like still compelling. I mean, you could say the thing about like. You know, we talked about a lot in the show, like how like the absence of like leaders and in a way this is a bad thing because like Taylor is so like cultivatedly like apolitical. And that was true, I think, of Khomeini to an extent, even though he was very political. No one knew 
what he was going to do. Like no one, like no one, he played it very close to the chest that he was going to install like guardianship of the jurist. You know, people were like, oh, <laughs> it's going to be like a democracy. You know, like he had a lot of left wing allies like who thought it was. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. And he was like, no, actually, like I'm installing guardianship of the jurist. Like I'm the supreme leader. Like and even like other clerics were like, what the fuck? Like, so I think in a way it's the fact that of her being so apolitical that she is kind of like in the present day, like in the United States, like she is that type of leader who commands that devotion from like, you know, a really like fierce, like young core of like supporters, you know, where like there's no one in the political sphere like that. That is in a way like speaks like negatively. But yeah, in terms of that, you know, like so in that respect, yeah, like you can say that she's she's certainly great, even though whether she's good is ambiguous. But I would definitely say she's like she's definitely one of the most good. Like in that, she's one of them. She's one of them. I, don't I know, would throw down for good. for critical support. Like <laughs> critical I, support. I would have to yeah. do it at the end of the day because th- there is a goodness, even though she is kind of like this, like Tiger Woods, like grown in a laboratory to be like the ultimate fucking pop star. She grew that will herself like take- in a laboratory. I do believe that that at the core there was some of her own impetus. Like yeah, oh, I don't oh. think her parents were just straight up stage parents. In fact. I read no, no, named, for sure, for sure. Yeah, I read they named her Taylor because they imagined that she would like go to work at Merrill Lynch and they wanted her to have business cards where it's like, oh, is this a man or is this a woman? You know, Taylor. Oh, really? Like, That's no. interesting because I read they that named- it was because of James Taylor. Yeah. That's a, actually a perfect really? example of That's like the duality of Taylor after. right there. Is that like, is the yeah, duality totally. of Taylor because yeah. I did wild, read that yeah. like in the, the same article, the Rolling Stone article I was mentioning just earlier, like about her early rise where it says like, yeah, my parents... Like they wanted to, you know, on business cards for it to be a, a unisex name because they pictured her as being a business person, which of course she's. I've never would, met a guy named Taylor. I don't think. I don't think I have Me? either, but I've never. I don't think I've ever she met a woman dated named Taylor, Taylor for that matter. Like, uh, oh yeah, Taylor Lautner. Yeah. Taylor Sheridan. Yeah, there's some Taylor. I mean, it's very southern, which is funny because they were in Pennsylvania, but like they even thought about <laughs> like that. Farm, that sounds though, like a southern farm. Yeah, yeah like the Christmas um, tree farm. But uh, um, I, were you guys aware uh, of the controversy around the computer like repairman who taught her guitar? Allegedly oh, the another that's another sort of well, this is like, you know, folklore, you know, yeah. there's all like Taylor herself is folklore. Like, you know, that she the story is that like she was I don't know if you ever heard of this, Christina. You probably remember like she was just like some tech. She was like doing her homework and there was like someone fixing her computer. And like, you know, there was like a guitar in the corner or something. I don't know why there would be one. It kind of like shows like that. You know, the sort of seems this, this mythic narrative, but he was like, Hey, do you know how to play guitar? And she was like, No, I don't know how. And he was like, Well, let me show you. And just like magically picked up a guitar and like taught her to play like like a geek squad guy or whatever. See, when I read that in like her Never Wikipedia profile, it. it sounded so sketchy that I was like, What? It's like she happened, like a computer repairman came to her home and was like, You want to learn how to play guitar? And she's like, Okay. Yeah, and the it first sounds like song an she MIB learned, agent like came like, to her door with like a guitar yeah. and was like, Yeah, but and, like the first song was Kiss Me by like, you know, like Kiss Me. And I'm like, yeah, that Okay, is who weird. is this guy? Report him. Like, what the <laughs> fuck? And then so I had to look up who it was, but then it turns out this guy has a whole saga about Taylor Swift where like he got he got threatened with a lawsuit by her in 20 I think 14 wow. for for putting up the website like i taught i taught taylorswift.com and basically claiming that he was hired to like provide her like guitar lessons for a year and a half and then kind of like stopped and right. like that he wanted to claim it. He, he did own a computer store, but yeah. like, you know, it like there was, you know, they had heard, their parents heard that he'd play guitar and they But like the story he teacher, told was bizarre right? and sounded like his version of it was like they came into his computer store one day <laughs> 
And they were like, hi, like, can you, our, our daughter just moved to Nashville and like, she needs to learn how to play guitar, like country music. Like, can we hire you to teach her? And he's like, he was an old, uh, like rocker, like guy. And he's like, I never played country before, but like, I guess yeah, I could right. teach her like, rock guitar. Rock. Yeah. yeah. And so he apparently gave her lessons for a year and a half and was like, at the beginning, she wasn't that good. And he also said things like, she said she was a pretty good student. But at first he thought it was a joke. He said, quote, I thought, here's a bunch of rich people, dot, dot, dot. But in all honesty, I thought she was a pretty good student. And he, he also wanted to make a website for the budding artist, but claims that the 25-year-old singer's mother, Andrea, made it, made it difficult, resulting in him eventually stopping teaching Taylor. He said she was like a bull in a china shop. If you didn't drop what you were doing to work on whatever Taylor wanted, she would lose her mind. And said that her parents had a, quote, weird dynamic uh, they didn't have a good relationship, mother and father. Scott used to tell me, I got a wife that doesn't love me. I'm trying to help my daughter out and do all the right things, and my wife could care less. So it was a weird dynamic. Uh, he also claimed that Taylor was forced to eat salads while her brother Austin enjoyed junk food, and she was not allowed to eat Taco Bell. And yeah, like that's his version of the story. And then like he heard her tell this like fanciful narrative of like, a guy noticing the guitar in the corner and like teaching her whatever. And he's like, no, no, no. Like I gave her guitar lessons and then she, he made that website and then she threatened to like sue him <laughs> and take it down. Damn, and then he gave a bunch so of press crazy. interviews. Started out friends. Wow. <laughs> wow. But it's like, it is so fucking weird. Cause like, you know, they had money, obviously. Oh, yeah. like, they had that C Ray, you know, he, he started his own like sub firm of like Merrill Lynch. Like, See, they could have, like, hired, like, a guitar teacher. It's so weird they went to, like, a computer store guy. It's almost like, I almost feel like it's a similar thing to, like, the signing with Big Machine thing, where it's, like, it's like a cover story. the protective, or the protectiveness of, like, yeah, or, like, part of the, partly mytho mythologizing and partly wanting to have that distance. And the same reason why they didn't move to Nashville. They moved, like, to a little bit outside of it, you know? It's, like, part of it is, like, not wanting her, not wanting any of it to seem engineered, not wanting any of it to seem like, you know. Yeah, what, just a small-town like, girl. Exactly. I think that's baked into it. Exactly, a computer store guy. And also, like, but that also has another another upside, mm -hmm. which is, like, they, like, I think that, I don't know, I'd like to know more about, like, Scott Swift's life and everything, because I, I wonder, like, you know. Merrill Lynch kind like, of said, I think uh, Michael yeah, like, Aquino what? worked for Merrill Lynch for a little oh, while. Oh, interesting. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, I wonder if you, like, saw some things because i mean he, he is known for like there's like that story that like you know at before every concert like scott swift like personally like gives like a speech to like all the security people to like, protect my daughter like <laughs> you must not let any harm come to her like you know so i wonder if like he was like hyper vigilant about like you know keeping her distant from like the the typical gears of like the music industry machine, you know, I, I don't feel know. like that definitely is a thing because oftentimes like where I've, I've read rumors about what happened to other pop stars like Britney Spears is that to put it mildly, their parents uh, did not protect them from no. like bad predatory influences. And in fact, maybe even like, you know, led their kids right into those experiences in order to like get, get some kind of come up. And I think oftentimes, like if you have a parent, I think almost you could say the same thing about like Kanye's mom to some extent, like that was a little oh, bit yeah. different, but that he, she was really like a protector of him, of his, like of his genuine interests and stuff while she was around. And then when she, when she died, like Kanye was sort of like left to the wolves, so to speak. And like Taylor's always had that or, 
like in Britney Spears case, having like a super fucked up, like toxic dad, even later who like gets conservatorship over you and like runs your life. Like, like Scott Squiff seems to be, but he might be, I don't know, a little bit, he might have sus aspects to him, but he seems to be very like on the, on the ball about like protecting Taylor, at least in the early, especially in the early years of her career. Right. Yeah. And so she didn't get necessarily, yeah, like exploited the way that almost I would say the majority of probably pop stars do. Like whether it's Kesha and Dr. Luke, Taylor, didn't Taylor pay Kesha's legal bills, by the way? Yes. Oh, See, wow. so Taylor, like Taylor is, I think, hip to some of the, she's got she's friends She's definitely in the music hip industry. to it. Like she's, now she she's is, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, also, I just want to point think, out. I wonder, oh, I feel like sorry. the John Mayer thing was like a, a wake up call for, like, in a, that was like a pivotal, way, I feel like would have, could have, should have, like illuminates that a little bit. You know, a very like theologically intense song with some invocations of the devil himself. Um, I feel like they're, you know, that might have been like a moment of like, you know, realizing like this is a very predatory space to move through. Yeah. yeah. I just wanted to note that also like speaking of her early like training, I guess in Nashville, she worked with experienced music row songwriters such as Troy Verges, uh, Brett Beavers, Brett James, Mac Mc- McAnnell. McAnally, uh, McAnally. I don't know how do you say Mc- that. McNally. Uh, it's literally McAnally. Uh, McAnally. Let's say yeah, McAnally. Uh, I yeah. don't know. And the Warren brothers, and formed a lasting working relationship with Liz Rose. So I guess like she would do two-hour writing sessions every Tuesday afternoon after school. So she was really like she was really being schooled by like real ass songwriters for like several years, really intensively. Which I mean, again, not to take away from her songwriting prowess, but again. It's like, that's why I compare her to like a Tiger Woods, like instead of comparing her to like Britney Spears, I would consider, I would compare her to like a Tiger Woods who like from very early childhood was like legitimately trained to be an excellent singer songwriter and like, et cetera, et cetera. And had like a maniacal like Phoenix program dad that was like putting through, putting them through this kind of informal schooling to like get them to this high level so that when they did come out at like age 15, they were already like very precocious, like for their age. And uh, again, not to take anything away from Taylor, but I mean, it, it's an interesting phenomenon. This is like the optimal thing that like American, the American music industry sort of like could produce and like our culture could produce. And like, obviously some aspects of it are, they're very intense. And in many cases they end in like some form of like tragedy i mean just like like aaron carter or something like that yeah but in taylor's case like i think she's been able to like hang on to enough of her or even tiger woods himself he really did like he had a huge flame out like oh yeah yeah that's usually what happens is like they grow up being groomed basically to be this like mega star and or michael jackson like my god like look at michael jackson like how he ended up absolute insanity but taylor seems to be like the most in control, relatively speaking, of kind of any of these pop titans uh, that we've had in a long time. I mean, Kanye has kind of gone off the rails. Like, you know, like other people have just kind of fallen off. Like Katy Perry can't keep up with. I mean, as Taylor said, you know, your enemies will defeat themselves before you get a chance to swing. Obviously talking about Kanye, you know. It could apply to many people. Yeah. Even Scooter. I think part of... I think part of why I think part of it is that she is so in control of her business and that like because she gets to call the shots like she her mental health is better. I think there's not all these people above her like Mary like, you know, she's not like this puppet. Yeah. Yeah. 
I think that's true, but I think it's also lonely at the top. Well, that's, I was going to say, like, she doesn't have darkness in her past, but she has a lot of darkness inside of her. Yes, (laughs) Mm -hmm. for sure. And I think that there might be more darkness than, like, we, she's obviously very controlled. There might be more, like, than we know, like, you know, like, and again, it's so protean, it's so shifting, like, who, you know, like, it's hard to get a handle on who she is. And I think people just see themselves in her, you know, like, like obviously like many people are like oh she's gay whether they themselves are or not like i think a lot of them or i think you were just showing me tiktok a little while ago where people were saying like a lot of us in this fandom are autistic and like speculating about taylor (laughs) being autistic you know um i found that post on reddit that was like train references and taylor swift songs you know like um uh she was born in 89 the year they changed the vaccine schedule Uh, Mm -hmm. Somebody would notice that, you know. Um, yeah, like the lover house being made out of, you know, the Lego proposal for the lover house is another. But yeah, like I think that people, yeah, so it's like just very, it's yeah, very hard to like get it. But yeah, I think, but she's managed to like stay above, you know, she has like she's she's ridden the tide so far, you know, she's not been brought, but I think they're, you know. Certainly, as she knows, there are those who are like, you know, working, working against her in secret, I think. Christina, was um, it you who said that, um, that like she's the only thing keeping this country together right now? Yes, yeah. <laughs> I do believe that. Yes, I do believe that feels kind of right in a certain type of way when everything else is collapsing. Like Taylor is the only reliable thing in 2023 that like keeps on chewing. Yeah. Yes. yeah, she's like the only American story right now. Yeah. I don't know. Much like how many as well. The only thing holding the country together. Yeah. <laughs> even uh, uh, I told how many. Uh, even you know, even uh, royalists at his death were very, very upset uh, or very concerned for what would happen because of his holding this. You know, the country together. Yeah. Another another parallel. Do you have any final remarks, Christina? Like where to find you online or like final Taylor thoughts as we like close out? This. Um, no, I, I was, this has been so fun. This has literally been my dream to be <laughs> Taylor on the podcast. So I thank you guys for inviting me for a plug. I don't know. You can go to my Twitter and then you could, there's like stuff there. It's yeah. not a good Twitter though. Steve drill, S T I drill. Yeah. And we will at you when we post the episode. So. Oh, nice. Yes, we yeah. will. Right. Yeah. And your Taylor mm-hmm. Substack, right? It's Taylor. It has Taylor things on it, right? Yes. (laughs) Yes. For all the Swifties who will be listening to this, we yeah, uh, they might be out there. Well, we're hoping, you know, hopefully this will bring the Swiftie demographic in, um, you know, the important contingent. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. No, it was great to have you on. It was very essential to have your presence here, and we definitely appreciate your insights. um, Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Thank you so much. This was so fun. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. It was great. Awesome. All right. See ya. Peace out. Peace. So what I'm trying to tell you is that I'm not putting this album out so that you can go and like should feel the need to defend me on the internet against someone you think I might have written a song about 14 billion years ago. I do not care. We have all grown up. We're good. So, um, I'm, I'm saying that because 
only because I am proud of it as a song, I am going to play Dear John. Should've known. 